Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 12th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. On the line with Miss Stephanie Cook. Hola. And joining us in studio, special guest, Justin Townsend. What's up? Not much, Justin. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Thank you for uh, joining us this week. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is our review show of the Fantastic Four. Uh, and I, Justin is here because Justin went to see the movie. So, <laughs> only, and I also only, no. only because yeah, yeah. you were like, I kind of need you to go see Fantastic Four <laughs> so you can come on the review show because nobody else wants to see it. It's true. I offer. You did offer. You did offer. I uh, went to see Mission Impossible instead. Much That's better. That's what choice. I wanted yeah. to do. I'm sorry. I, I, I was supposed to have like a date, and I was like, that had fallen through, and I was like, okay, I wasn't gonna inflict. Like Fantastic Four on my date because I know it's gonna be bad. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, so like maybe I'll go see it by myself. Maybe I can like stomach seeing it by myself because I can just roll my eyes and be like, oh come on. <laughs> um, but then my date was like, oh we can do something after all, and I was like, yeah, screw that. I'm gonna go see Mission Impossible. You made the right <laughs> choice. Uh, but uh, Justin and I will review that uh, later uh, after we get through everything else. Bob just cried all weekend uh, by yeah, himself. Kind, very <laughs> much so. Ended up in a migraine set, uh, Sunday. It was so bad I could eat. not even read comic books. Oh, wow. Even with my little magnifying mm. glass. Oh, no. Yeah. Just but the presence of the, of, film. of the film did that to you. But I have to say, it, it come down to the 11th hour as mm. I was deciding. Are, the votes, I thank everyone for <laughs> voting. And it was a two-to-one vote that I wasn't a seller if I used other people's money. I had tons of supportive email in all directions. We support whatever decision you make. <laughs> it's like, great. It was like running for president or something. <laughs> I had someone offer to give money to charity. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay twice the money to charity if you go see this movie. And what it, what, what it came down to finally was I didn't want to subject myself to this. I was already crying into my beer and coffee and everything else the whole weekend. <laughs> my beer and coffee at yeah. the same time. At the same <laughs> time, like, no, I was fisting. double fisting drinking. It was it was, <laughs> it was a weird mix of drinks. A weird mix of drinks. That's how I am when I wake up with two kids in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I have a beer yeah. and I have coffee. coffee. <laughs> I can picture that. Uh, it, it just sort of some rumored plot points got confirmed. Some new ones got thrown into the mix, and I was like, I can't. I just can't. And I, I do feel badly. I really do, because I know people want to hear me say something. I'll say something eventually. <laughs> eventually you will. Eventually I will see this. It'll be on USA Network or something. <laughs> and like, remember that movie from three years ago? Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. <laughs> It'll so, be good. The pain will have passed by then, yes. so you'll be able to just talk about it. Yeah, um, I, so they, yeah I couldn't. I would just... Well, Justin and I... Did <laughs> soldiered on, and we will be reviewing it. It's there's some there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I I, I will say that I was sitting Can in the theater by myself. That, that 
Cardiffian. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Cardiffian? He sent me a complete recap of it today via text. Oh, really? He's like, don't see it. Here's the, here's the breakdown. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Hugh. <laughs> but also, yeah. I haven't texted him, but thank you for the gift package. Oh, yes. He's a good, it, good man. Hugh, you are the best human. Mm-hmm. And you made my bike being stolen today. So much better. What, what's his bike? No, not your, your red Canadian bicycle. Yeah. No. My Tim Hortons bike. That bastard stole my Tim Hortons bike. That's very un Canadian. Yeah, yes. I know. It's like I the least Canadian like, thing you could do. I got the best email, though, in response to everything. Like, so I posted on Craigslist, like, and everything. I was like, it's like a really conspicuous bike. If anyone sees it, like, please, you know, like, please let me know. I'm, you know, I don't have any money to offer as a reward, but like, if if you find it, artwork, heart, give like, some let artwork. Me know. And this person sent me like the best message. Like he blocked out. Like he, he's like holy, you know, like starred like two of the letters. Like holy, I seen this bike. He's <laughs> like I seen it, and then he's like it's locked up. Exact same bike. I seen it at eleven. <laughs> and I was like, "Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you." And then I was like, "It wasn't there, but like, thank you for telling me." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for it." He's like, "I will find it, and I'm gonna call the cops on this person." I was like, "Thank you, Nigel. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm for justice." Yes, <laughs> lots of enthusiasm for justice, bike justice. I will find it. <laughs> I feel like I should that go home and watch. The guy stole my bag. Yeah, yeah. I should go watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure somehow. I have this I urge now. And like my friend Fred, he works like at a radio station in Toronto, and he has a ton of followers. And I tweeted all kinds of Pee Wee Herman jokes already, uh-huh. and um, he tweeted it to be like, "Help my friend find her bike." And he has like seriously like a hundred thousand followers, and he, all these people are like. Check the basement of the Alamo. And I'm like, Ugh. I already posted these jokes. <laughs> Keep up. Keep up. And all these people are like, that is a really sweet ride. I'm like, don't tell me about my bike. I know it's awesome. Somebody help me find it. Like, yeah. I predict success. I hope so. We shall see. We shall see. I'll keep you posted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, never Whether fear, though. Or not. Bob will get to talk about Fantastic Four today because he's going to be talking about some ff comics and his yes. book of the week stuff so people will people can hear all about stephanie's bike and about fantastic four on this show we, we have everything you're welcome <laughs> we have everything uh i joined a gym this week that's something that happened wow yeah what gym Whoa! la fitness that's where everyone's going well because they have a lot of locations and if you sign up at one you can go to any of them mm, and they're great. all you're not even in la i know it's crazy <laughs> but i feel like i'm in california stephanie when i'm in there uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, it, it's a nice gym. It's very, very nice. And the one, the one right by my office is one of the smaller ones, but still very nice. And then the one by my house is like ridiculous. It's like Globo Gym. Is that the Easy one over gyms? by Best Buy? Yeah, it's one yeah, of my Best oh, Buy. Oh, it's it's incredible. It looks like the Justice League headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. it's got like yeah. a swimming pool in it yeah. and a spa. Um, so it's good though. It, it, it's very close to my the the one I near my job is super close. Like a minute away from my job. So it remo- removes excuses for me not to go. Uh, I thought that bringing home like an elliptical machine would you remo- rem- remove all my excuses. Doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't at all. I look at it and I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to get on you. Yeah, you can hang sweatshirts from it and stuff. That's pretty much what it's been yeah. used for. If I, can only, if I can only play Rocket League while elliptical 
Yes, we have friends who actually do things like that. Yeah. That's uh, wow. that's crazy to me. I can do movies and I can even read sometimes on those things. No, I can't do that. But I can't play video games. My arms are moving too much. I don't know if I can control it. I think they just do legs and they hold on to the controller. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not very good at video games anyway. So if I had to add <laughs> some other stuff into it, it would be nope. bad. No what, comment. What about an elliptical machine and you're playing Wii games? At yeah, home it's of the, the TV. right sort of game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Some Wii tennis right in there. Sure. Um, Wii bowling, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I just I just signed up. I went on Monday. I went today. So if I go tomorrow, it's good. It's good. It's good start. Twenty one days. Twenty one days. That's what it takes to like create a new schedule. All right. And that, it's kind of true because mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago I was super into it pre kids, and I lost a bunch of weight. And you know it was for that first like month like really hard to go every day. Mm-hmm. But then after you do the month, you start seeing results, and you're like, I got. It's not even like a question. You're just gonna go. Right. Yeah. I've had a lot of days, though, of doing nothing and eating a lot and drinking beer. <laughs> so that's, that's right a, now that's a good the day. usual schedule. That's yeah. I've had more, many 21 days of doing that. Yes. So I have to break myself uh, of that. Um, but yeah, so the show today, other than Fantastic Four, we're going to be talking about John Flood, number one, as, as our shared book of the week. It's from Boom Studios. We, of course, have our, our single books of the week and, and our lightning rounds uh, to get to. And we're going to jump pretty much... Right in. I do want to say, just at the top of the show, uh, I want to give our condolences to Steve, uh, who his cat passed away th- this week, and that's why he's not with us this week. Um, the loss of a pet can be hugely, hugely traumatic. So, Mumu was, yeah, yeah. Mumu was family. So our, our thoughts are with him, um, and we will. I don't think he'll be here next week. He's going to Canada to see, to see his girlfriend next week, but in a few weeks Being he'll be in back. Canada never stops me from podcasting, Steve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so our thoughts go out to him and uh, best wishes. So yes. let's move from that. Let's move on to talking about some comics. Bob, I'm going to have you go first on, on the lightning round uh-huh. this week. Okie dokie. Steve isn't here, so it moves over to you to go first. Um, I'm going to put three minutes on the clock here. And this is so unfair because Bob like kills it and then all of us are like oh we have to follow that well you're gonna go next stephanie just so you know just just so you're aware (laughs) all right Mm. you have three minutes on the clock and go okay spider-man renew your vows number three i'm still not completely thrilled with the dark tone of this and some of spidey's actions and inactions a little bit unpeter like but i've already pre-ordered these so i'm kind of stuck and maybe the finale you know dan dan slot will nail the landing and it'll be okay Uh, also bought spider island number two and the first story is still a monster mashup that's not doing much for me. But the six-page Spider-Girl backup story, but it's Tom DeFalco, Ron Friend, Salby, same, the original Spider-Girl team, more than makes up for any twinges of regret I have for having spent $4 for six pages. <laughs> <laughs> I got a nice little email about Spider-Girl. Someone reviewing it as a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Every single issue. She shipped to issue 90. Oh, wow. So you've only got like 60 more days to go. Hmm. Uh, Lumberjane 16, which I just picked up on a whim as my local comic store was, had extra copies for some reason. It never even ordered the thing. I had a bunch of them. It was fun revisiting the girls, and the book still has all the charm it did when I st- was buying the singles, which was about 10 issues ago. I intended to buy the trades, and it never did, because every time I went in the store, either they weren't there or I didn't have any money when <laughs> it was there. So I do have to catch back up. It's just a lot of fun past history on this one. That goes into backstory. Uh, Ms. Marvel 17, which is the second last day's issue, it's the long-anticipated team-up between Kamala and her idol Captain Marvel. And takes place on the streets and rooftops of Jersey City. Uh, Carol's come over to help because it's panic in Jersey City. The 
incursion event is all going crazy. Uh, as always, G. Willow Wilson's characterizations, dialogue for Kamala is just great. Her Carol is spot on as well. She, the moments when, when Kamala is speaking to Carol, it, it's, it's in the, her dialogue and the artwork as she alternates between being a teenage fangirl and her body language, she's just holding onto her scarf and clutching it tightly. Her toes are curled in a little bit and she's going to go do something. And, and at one point they, they rouse some bad guys and Carol's sort of, you project very well for someone so short. It's just a, a wonderful issue. I really hope as we move forward into this post last days post event that all this stays in place in the way it is. This has been such a lovely series from day one. I've been just loving where this has been. I, I know I said it and it was great to hear at the con last year where I, I don't know if anyone remembers, but to me, this reminds me of the original Spider-Man and that you've got this young character, fresh faced, everything is new to her. And that is so rare. And I'd hate for that to get lost in a darkened world moving forward. I don't imagine it will be, but you never can tell. But anyway, so people are waiting. There's one more issue of this. So it's the Ms. Marvel 17 last day's issue with this just charming cover with Kamala with this big grin on her puss. That's it for me. All right, Bob. After a little hiccup last week. I had a hiccup. Returned to your epic lightning rounds uh, <laughs> ways. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I talked about some comics and coffee. I was really excited about this issue of Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. and I liked it, but I felt like some of the dialogue was clunky. I don't know what it was about it, because I've loved every other issue. I've loved all the interactions. Something about the way they interacted, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel natural to me as, as her dialogue usually, dialogue usually does. I don't know mm-hmm. why that was. Maybe I have to read it again, and, and maybe my expectations were a little bit off kilter with whatever it was going to be, but... I had this, I was so excited for it. I was so excited for it. I read it. and I was like, "Oh, that was good," but it didn't like it didn't excite me the way I, I expected well, it to. Um, but s- still, very very good. Yeah. No, there's that one moment where where they're, they're speaking as, as all this has gone on, where Carol's just shown up, where she offhandedly, and an older woman, just calls this this little teenager who's fangirling like crazy, mm-hmm. "Honey," mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. very mom kind of thing. Yes. You know, Carol doesn't have a family. Kits. Lord knows what's going on over there yet. Yeah, the Statue yeah. of Liberty. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to bring up is we've talked about this several times on the mm-hmm. show when he hasn't been here, but you have an axe to grind with Justin about a trade that you wanted to buy that you still haven't been able to buy. Yes. It's, that, what's <laughs> the, what is the exact title of this? That <laughs> the death-defying Doctor Mirage. Death-defying Doctor Mirage. <laughs> I've heard you, about this. You, you you were apparently in Fourth World like ten minutes before I was. <laughs> Guy just bought that. <laughs> that was me. Twenty yeah. percent off sale, and I had a gift certificate. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. They haven't gotten it back yet. No. There was only one trade. Yeah, there was only one trade there. Yeah. And it took me a while to find it. It happens a lot with some of the more oddball things. Over there. Look, no offense to them, they stock. It seems like everything. Yeah, yeah. But some things in bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and I understand why. Yeah. But it took me a long time to get that second Sunstone. Mm-hmm. I've now pre-ordered the third one, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, Lumberjanes has been that. Dr. Mirage, it happened with, first time I was trying to get Adventures of the Superhero Girl. Oh, okay. Just had that one. Mm. Did, thanks, Glenn. Have you read The Death of the Line, Dr. Mirage? Yes. Oh, it was oh good. good. Now yeah. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> if you had said no, there would have been a fight. It was oh, torn no. the mics off. <laughs> throwing down right here. Throwing down right here. Speaking of throwing down. Justin, Gino Smith. I'm guessing you have a different opinion about Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows than Bob does. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wrote a little note here. You were talking about Ask Justin. Yes, uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it, my lightning round, you'll see, like, I like a lot of the Secret Wars, mm-hmm. uh, like, the Secret Wars books. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I was listening to you guys talk about the first issue um, and some, like, very un-Peter-like things. And Bobby had brought up, like, um, the fatherhood aspect. Like, that, that's a side we've never seen of Peter. And, like, I agreed 100%. Uh, you know, the choice that Peter makes in the first issue to just take out Venom over the safety of his daughter, I, I thought was like exactly what I would have done. And uh, the line, I thought the line that he used there was like, um, the thing about responsibility, like um, with great power, uh, with great responsibility comes even like a greater responsibility. And he's talking about his daughter and like, that's his main responsibility now. And we're seeing him kind of like, he went that way for, it looks like for a couple of years, but now in the later issues is like, you know, remembering his previous responsibilities and, instilling that in uh, in his daughter and so like i i think it's great i i, I want to see where this th- where it goes and where it ends so what is for me i'll i'll let yeah, you jump in yeah, a second is having read 150 odd issues of peter as may's father in spider girl never happened that way mm. yeah so but- this is a different peter in a different situation but i'm so indoctrinated to seeing the other side of this i think that's the thing is that it's a completely different situation mm-hmm. you know him being one of the last remaining heroes left mm-hmm. you know alive quotation marks Mm-hmm. Um, lends like a different against uh, weight to it, you know. Knowing that his daughter could become and just swiped away because she has abilities would lead, you know, would lead me to want to be like, no powers, no nothing. Like I need to keep you safe mm-hmm. because you're the you're the most important thing in the world to me. Like your safety now rises mm-hmm. above everybody else's because you are my responsibility. So if, I mean that's the way that I like mm-hmm. I'm reading it. Like I, I'm reading it with like. I'm a, a a new father again, so it's like it just <laughs> smacked me in the face all over again. This 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 fatherhood bit. So I mean, that's the way that I'm reading it. Yeah, and I would say too, I think that in this past issue, right, that stuff begins to change a little bit. Yeah, which is, I think is interesting. And you know, he makes that kind of decision in the first issue for himself, right? He decides that this is the way I'm going to be because this is the way I should be. And then when that decision is placed in front of the people he wants to protect, they kind of have a different answer for him mm-hmm. than would there. And I, I, I like that about how the series is kind of developing over these four or five issues, whatever it's mm-hmm. going to end up being. So. And I liked the the preview page for the next, uh, yeah, next yeah. issue. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yep, yeah. I need to see that. Yeah, very much for that. Yeah. The... His interaction with Otto, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil, spoil mm-hmm. people are, are trade waiting, was mm-hmm. a bit much for me, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tiny bit. <laughs> He was a bit aggressive, I'll say. He was a little yeah. aggressive. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good job, Bob, on, on, on your lightning round. How much round. time did I have left, by the way? You had like eight seconds left. Okay, good. That's, yeah. yeah. Well, last week, what happened, I actually got a book taken away from me and then it went did. over anyway. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you started vamping. You weren't reading from your page anymore. Yes. So you didn't have the timing down anymore. You're uh, absolutely right. <laughs> all right, Stephanie, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, you sound very confident. <laughs> Here we go. Three minutes and go. I only read two things this week. <laughs> well, talk about one of them. Here, so then. one of them's going to be on this list. <laughs> Both of them are advanced copies, though, so you won't awesome. be able to read them. <laughs> How advanced uh, are we talking about here, Stephanie? So, <laughs> <laughs> one of them's out. Very soon in 2016. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shut up, everyone. I've been busy. My bike got stolen, Bobby. Stop bullying me. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Nameless City 
uh, the only thing I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my Faith Erin Hicks. And unfortunately, it really isn't out for a long time. But uh. if you happen to have a NetGalley account, it is available for early review um, on there. Ooh. So if you <laughs> check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nameless City is the uh, much-anticipated graphic novel that Faith Erin Hicks has been working on for quite a long time. Um, it's from first, second... Uh, they've been putting out a lot of really great stuff lately. And basically this is kind of a bit like um, an original, it it feels like an original Avatar story. And I mean like Avatar The Last Airbender, Mm -hmm. not Avatar James Cameron's thing. Film. Yeah. (laughs) Thing. (laughs) Um, It it feels like sort of um, an alternate like take on that to me. Um, it's about a boy and he's being raised to, um, be a soldier in this city and it's the nameless city because it keeps getting conquered over and over again. And every time it's conquered, it gets renamed. So everyone has a different name for this city. So, uh, they basically just call it the nameless city since it's technically actually the name, the city with too many names. Hmm. Um, and along the way, um, this boy meets a girl that's a native to the city, you know, not from one of the conquering cities and sort of starts an unlikely friendship with her. And since there's a lot of uh, hatred amongst all of these different people, as you can probably imagine. And so they start to kind of learn and form from about each other and teach each other things and kind of form this, uh, bond. And, um, you know, they're they're kind of begrudgingly, uh, you know, accepting each other, and it's just this really really great story. Faith Erin Hicks uh, draws it, and she or illustrates it and writes it, and then there's colors by Jordi Belair, and um, so both of these people clearly <laughs> are amazing. So if you're reading it for nothing else, you know, read it because these two people are involved and they're superstars. Um, again, I'm sorry that it's very, very, very early and that all the stuff, but I will talk about it in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> now, but you, you can't use it as your best of 2015. No, you, you can't. have to wait no. till it actually comes out. You can't. I, I won't. But um, if you are like somebody that happens to be on NetGalley and know what that is, um, check it out because it is on there and um, you should definitely read it. It's wonderful. Um, so... That's going to be out. <laughs> yes. In 2016. How do you feel about it? Is, is it markedly different uh, in tone and, and tenor from Superhero Girl? Yes. Okay, cool. This one's a bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Like, Superhero Girl, I feel, well, it has some moments that, like, I don't think kids will get. I feel like it's mostly an all-ages book. Um, this feels very much like a crowd that would... Like, you would sell Avatar to, again. Like, mm-hmm. it really, really just, like, I was just like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What was that like horror this, book she did? The Which one? She did a horror book. Oh, no, she did The Last of Us. She did The Last of Us. Last of Us, right, yeah. Yeah, and it, like, has little bits of that, too, in it, I think. Like, kind of, um, the girl, the, the boy is um, the soldier that uh, is part of the conquering the people that have conquered the city and the girl is part of the people um that have always been in the city um and the girl kind of feels a bit like um ellie 
mm-hmm. in some ways. But this book happened, this has been in the works like long before, I believe, she started working. Yeah, I don't lot. even remember when they, it got announced so long ago. Yeah, like yeah. it got like announced a couple years ago. I think it was 2014 when they announced yeah. it came out in 2016, yeah. Um. So like this is, you know, we've been anticipating it for a long time. We have plenty of time um, to get a good price on the pre-order from Amazon yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just a really great book. I, I mean, I would, I'm pretty sure you could read this to kids, um, like a lot of all ages, because there's a lot of really good messages in it, too. Um, you know, there's, there's making friends with people you don't necessarily fit in with, kind of stepping outside your comfort zone, um, you know, and kind of doing the right thing. Um, and kind of taking a chance Mm. on, um, you know, new things. Um, I, I think that it's got positive messages for everyone, but, um, I definitely think it'll hit home probably like 10 plus background. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Justin. It's real good. good. (laughs) Yes. Are you ready? (laughs) Your time is over, Stephanie. Your time is over. Justin. Yep. You've got three minutes on the clock and go. Uh, So the first thing I want to talk about, I mentioned it before, but I've been super into the Secret War stuff. Uh, So the first issue I'm going to talk about, uh, Siege number two. Um, Just a really awesome story. I I like a lot of what they're doing with world building with some of these books. Uh, This being one of them, I love the shields, you know, trying to keep the the forces from behind the shield from breaking through. And what I love is like in these battle war books, you're getting characters that you haven't seen in years. Uh, There is like a one page thing where Abigail Brand is talking to these robots. She says, Oh, we're going to go talk to the robots. And it's unit from Kieran Gillen's X-Men run. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I haven't seen that character since 2012. Mm -hmm. And it's just cool that they throw them in there. Sticking on that track. We have a civil war. Also number two. Uh, This book is just awesome. Uh, I was never really a, a huge fan of the Civil War uh, series, but like I like these alternate what if tales of like what if that just kept going for like five more years and things play out in different ways. Uh, th- there's references here to things that have happened in that five years that I'd love to like go back and look at. Uh, Lino Yu is doing the art on this and uh, Charles Soule writing. It's it's really really good and I like it a lot. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Millar or Miller, however you say. I his think name. it's Miller. Uh, and uh, I liked Jupiter's Legacy a lot. And uh, when I heard that he was doing a prequel, uh, Jupiter's Circle, which uh, tells the story of uh, the main characters from Jupiter's Legacy's parents, uh, the tagline's always been, like, your parents were young once. And <laughs> it's, like, a, a, like single shots of, like, the different heroes, like, in the 60s or 70s and, like, what life was like for them. Uh, just fun and exciting really great art uh we talked about the artist's name i'm not even going to try and pronounce it but such a different look than quietly uh quietly does the cover for this one but the art inside is just colorful and like just has a completely different feel from the other book uh this is issue five i think of six so it's almost done but i've enjoyed it we stand on guard from brian k vaughn issue number two i think this is another mini it's only like six issues um canada and the u.s are at war Stephanie can go down. <laughs> uh, it's like it, it's Brian K. Vaughn, but it doesn't feel like Brian K. Vaughn, at least not yet. 
uh, the writing's good. Like I like I like the idea. It's such a weird concept, but it just it doesn't feel like a Brian K. Vaughn book yet. But I'm sticking with it because I'm enjoying it so far. The art's awesome. Big robot mechs are really cool, and uh, yeah, it's cool. And then I come down to two trades. Uh, I you have, have 25 seconds. All right, two trades really quickly. <laughs> Alescott Zero, uh, Volume One. Edward Zero was the best killer and the best spy the agency ever had, and then he realized he was working for the wrong side. This is the story of his journey, beginning in 2018, ending in 2038. It's a cool little, you know, it's a cool little book until you get to the last pages of this volume. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll read. Oh my gosh, what's <laughs> happening? And uh, the last two pages are really exciting. And, and I actually read all three volumes this week. Wow, you didn't get to talk about your last one. I know. You got a lot in though. That was a lot. That was a lot of books yes, you talked about. That was about. impressive. Yeah, masks and mobsters is really good. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicely done. It's from the Nailbiter team. Uh, definitely should read it. Uh, Zero, right? It's uh, it's different artists every issue, right? No, it's. I think it carries through. Uh, let me see. I thought it was a different artist every issue. You know, you could be. You could be yeah. right. You are right. You just read it. Well, I have you know <laughs> he read have, all of them. I read <laughs> I read two and three okay. this week, uh, but I thought it'd be weird to jump in with two and three. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I read one. I think two and three though had the same uh, artist all the way through on both volumes. So that's why I'm not remembering correctly. But yeah, Zero is really cool. Nice. And that's it. What I like about Siege, I like the the, the same thing with the characters. I, I love Abigail Brand and Kang's like relationship, like their back and forth. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, and I really like seeing Leia in. Or Leah, I guess Leah. What, I, what I'm starting to notice with a lot of these Battle War books is like they're separate, but they're starting to tie together mm-hmm. in certain ways. Like you saw America Chavez mm-hmm. get taken away in A Force number one, but you find her here in Shield number one, mm-hmm. and it's like she doesn't have a lot to do yet, but like she's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, like some of the books are starting to connect like that, so it feels more like a giant world instead of just a whole bunch of separate books. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. That's important. Yeah, because it has been seems so fractured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Three minutes for me and go. Airboy number three of four. So we're, we're getting close to the end of this. Uh, this sees our, our two protagonists flipped, and now they're in kind of Airboy's, you know, sci-fi alternate World War II. <laughs> uh, and, and you're seeing sort of uh, how that world also has its cracks and, and its issues, uh, and it's not as perfect as possibly Airboy led on. Uh, love the art. I love the writing. I think it's a great series, and I can't wait to see how it, how it all wraps up. Um, Future Imperfect, number four. Uh, this is kind of a, our, a big action issue for, for this series, but it continues to be a great uh, miniseries. Peter David, Greg Land, and we, we see we get to see uh, Maestro slash the Hulk uh, and, and the Thing in some really cool big battles with some Norse gods and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, great stuff. It, it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite series uh, of all these Battle World series. And I want to spend the most time, actually, though, talking about Groot uh, number three. Uh, it very, would have been my book of the week if I hadn't have read what I had read after, um, which I caught up on a couple of trades, which we'll get to, obviously, in a little bit. But Groot number three, I want to say that I think that the first issues are great. Um, after I read issue two, I, I was sold. It's beautiful cartooning in, in the book. This issue specifically deals with Dawn and... Uh, Norrin from the Silver Surfer, and I don't know if we've seen them as a team in any other books no, yet. Not that I know of. Uh, so it's been it's really cool to see another artist uh, render them, another writer take them on, and it's a great relationship between Groot a- and those characters. And <clears throat> I I love how they address 
because this is the first time we've really seen him interacting in the in, in the three issues with anyone other than Rocket, really, without Rocket being there. And Rocket's been kidnapped, and Groot needs to go and find him. And it's really the story of Groot, you know, um, figuring out a way to get where he needs to go and to find Rocket. And they really deal with the ideas of Groot being alone in, in the world because no one can understand him, and the only person who can understand him is now gone. So there's a, there's an emotional aspect to it there. Um, and there's some just some great comedy with, with Norrin and Dawn and what they do. Um, and it's just a ton of fun. I, I didn't know what to expect from, from the series, but I've absolutely fallen in love with it o- over, over the three issues. And I want to get up. I can't remember... Um, Jeff Loveness is, is the is the writer. I want to make sure that I get the artist correct because the art in it is just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. Like I said, cartooning over everything else. You you know that's not something that is in is everywhere in, in comics, and it's really really nice in in, in Groot. Um, of course, it has the cover artist on on the on the front <laughs> page. Declan Shelby does the cover, but that's not that's not what I want. I want the actual artist. Um, let's see if it's here. Uh, here we go. Oh, Brian Kessinger is 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 the artist, and it just does a beautiful, beautiful job. I recommend it to anybody. Group number three. Cool. I read it just before we came here. Oh, really? What do you think, Bob? Because one of our listeners sent me an email. Uh, her name is Meg, and thank you very much for suggesting this. And I picked it up. There's a store across mm-hmm. from where I work, and I absolutely loved it. It is touching, but still wildly funny. Mm-hmm. They, the characters meet because they collide with each other, and Dawn's line is, is this where we exchange insurance? <laughs> So it's still the wacky things you mm-hmm. want, but you know, as she describes the surfer surferizing, he starts to make speeches because he understands this being alone mm-hmm. until he found someone else. Yeah. And, and the connections, as they're doing that, it's never heavy-handed. It is heartfelt and just lovely and charming and still wildly funny and goofy when the surfer gets a little yeah. scrambled. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, uh, I've not read any of the first two. and mm-hmm. obviously who Groot is. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. If you're a fan of just something a little different, try this out. Yeah. What'd you think of the art? Loved it. Mm-hmm. It is. It's certainly different than all red, mm-hmm. but it still has that same joy within it. It is. It's not beholden to what all red's doing, but they're the same characters. You know, mm-hmm. they're them. It is cartoony, but still expressive, and mm-hmm. that's very. It's what you need to have happen here. Yeah, and, and there are also some just gorgeous spreads in the book too. You know, it's. It, I don't want to. People think I'm saying cartooning, and it's small and, and stuff like that. It's, no. it's grand stuff as well, and it really takes advantage of, of the settings that, that it has going on. It's a, definitely a high recommendation for me. Yes, me uh, too. I, if, if I was going to talk about it next week, as a matter okay. of fact, it's sitting <laughs> on my kitchen table. Uh, Justin, are you reading Future Imperfect? I read the first. One, I think. The first one? Yeah. Uh, I've tried to read at least one issue of all mm-hmm. the Battle World stuff, but I think for some reason, like, the second issue wasn't there on my next run to the store, mm-hmm. and then I missed it. And I'm sure that they're going to collect some, like, massive oversized thing yes. with all this stuff. They absolutely yeah. will. Or multiple volumes, probably, because yeah. it's a lot of issues. Yeah. I'll, I'll read it all then. There'll be 47 trades come out on the same day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm sure there'll be some sort of, like... I, I assume that they'll at least try to group some of them together into like sections. Like they'll do like shield books and they'll do, yeah. um, I mean, I'm sure they'll do individuals as well, but I I feel like they'll probably do some sort of grouping. And we've talked about this before um, through text and stuff, but like I've read just about every one of these that's come out and like some of them like 
uh, they haven't really grabbed me. Mm-hmm. Like the X Men ones really haven't grabbed me that much. Like Years of Future Past, but like it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But like none of these that I've read have been like terrible. Like mm-hmm. I'm like I, I put it down. I'm like oh that's that was that was not worth it at all. Right. Yeah. They, they've all been like you know that's pleasantly surprising. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I I agree with you 100. percent They've they've been good good tie-ins. I think. Uh, Secret Wars number five comes out this week too. I'm very excited. Finally, it's been a while, right? It, since yeah, four. they've been running into some delays. Yeah, which <laughs> seems like it could be an issue compared since they seem to be on a rather tight schedule for when it's supposed to end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we could be into some of those October launches yeah. either coming before the end of the series or being pushed. We don't into need November. any more Hawkeye situations. No, no, oh, please. Well, it happened with what Forever Evil, right? Like we were reading post Forever Evil books yes. before Forever Evil number eight came out or number nine, whatever number it was. The last one was. Uh, who's the artist on? Um, why is his name slipping out of my mind right now? Isad Ribic. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it probably takes him a while to draw, but I know he had like a huge lead time. Yeah. So you wonder, you wonder what's going on there, but uh, as long as he keeps drawing, like. I, I like it a lot. You can see why they often do like the split thing, where like the first half will be one artist and the second half will be another artist. Because yeah, to keep it on time. But like, time. I think for like this particular story, that it, as long as it doesn't get like crazily delayed, mm. keeping that uh, the artist on, the artist and writer on together for the whole story is worth it. I mean, I would always rather see the same artist do something yeah. like that, especially. I mean, I think back, back with Hickman, way way back, he talked about doing Avengers. And now he had these different artists, and he said it made it more difficult because there wasn't even any visual consistency for people to call back to he couldn't do like certain like objects or certain faces or 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 certain things that would just be stand on their own because they change artists so much that he couldn't he he didn't know okay is you know is is it theodato yeah is it theodato or is it going to be this or and and so it's tough so i would rather it be i just hope we don't we're not like it's already eight months later we're already into it and then secret wars number eight comes out yeah (laughs) <laughs> which will be rough because uh, it just takes it takes away the power of both things in, in a lot of ways, which is, will be a shame. Well, let's see. If, uh, if five comes out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let's see how long it takes to get to six, and then we'll have some sort of idea. Yeah. We'll see. Well, the first two were bi-monthly, well, bi- right? They back, were back-to-back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the first two. And then it was a couple weeks until three, and a couple weeks until, I think a month until four. And now what has it been, a month and a half? At least. At least yeah, a month and a half, be. right? Um, I know we were recording from here, when the fourth one came out, because we we yes. talked about it in this room, I know that. But other than that, I don't remember um, when it came out. All right, so let's move on to our individual books of the week. Bob, let's. you're going to lead us off. Yes, and I'm cheating, just as you did you, last. You week. You are cheating. I am cheating. You're cheating a little bit more than I did last week. Yes, but it's only <laughs> it's really only two books and a mention. Yeah. <laughs> With the Fantastic Four film out this week, and since I will be absent from the second half, or I'll be sitting here and, and, sh- <laughs> and stumming over in the corner, or stewing over in the corner, I thought I might as well go for it. So, first book I'd like to talk about is Fantastic Four number 60, which is actually number 489. They have both numbers on the cover, which is nice. It cost <laughs> nine cents back in um, 2002, and it's the first issue of the Mark Wade, Mike Waringo, Carquiso run. And... It's just a great kickoff that sets into place what his take on the team was, which is really, it's a family group of adventurers, and he describes them as Imaginauts, which is what the first trade paperback is actually called. We open on, it's the board meeting for the Fantastic Four Incorporated PR firm, who handles all their licensed merchandise (laughs) and their comic book, because way back in the Stan and Jack era, there was actually a licensed Fantastic Four book that Stan and Jack were doing (laughs) in the book itself. 
Dr. Doom showed up at their office once to give them <laughs> grief. And it just gets, it's very meta, but it, this it always This is very out of character worked. for me. Yes. Um, so their, their, their Q rating is falling. And they're trying to sort it, well, what's, what's going on with the team? And in some ways, it was very referential to what was going on in, in the books at the time. And so they send one of their guys over to, to visit with the family for, for a bit. And very early on, he says, do you do this every day? This, this comes after they're in some other dimension. There are giant bugs and things are going on and flying all over the place. Oh, you mean a Sunday drive, sis? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sort of thing that, that really shows you that he understood, that, as with always with Mark Wade, he understands what makes these characters tick at their core and yet still makes them new at the same time. There, there's something special he does. Very often, writers who try to do that gets to be very much an archaeology project. Mm. What can I dredge up from the past? And I'll tell this story again, but I'll put my spin on it. No, he tells his story with the characters done on model, heightened where they need to be to move a story along. My one quibble with his entire three-year run here, his doom goes a little magic-y for me. But the, the family, as written here, is just really, really spectacular. And what we end up with, uh, I'll, I'll read a quote from here as we, as we finish this. Uh, they're trying to sort out the, the Schertzer guy who comes to live with the family for a week. Why would the smartest guy on earth do what he's doing? Why would you have a superhero team and do all this crazy stuff? And he has one answer. And they all leave. And Sue is trying to figure out, too, why, why would you hire all these people? All your inventions would pay the bills. Do we really need all this other stuff going on? And what we end up is this lovely shot near the end of Reed. Uh, he's going to put his daughter to bed. I may have to grab my... Uh, there's enough light in this room. So I have to grab my, uh, my magnifying glass. To see, I get old here. And he's taking little Val to bed. She's about six months old at this point. So do you want to know, Val? It'll have to be our secret, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was this genius who... A very bright man who... Once upon a time, there was a very arrogant man who did something very stupid. Without proper preparation or shielding, he took his friends through a wave of radiation that made them all something more than human. His guilt was unbearable and deserved. Those were the people he loved, and he destroyed their lives. Thanks to him, they were fated to be freaks, lab specimens, or worse, unless he changed that fate somehow. Unless he made the world see them for what they were, three of the best and bravest people anyone could hope to meet. So he refused to let them operate in secret. He gave them a home in a city of eight million, and he gave them costumes and a flying car or encourage them to parade around with outlandish names. Mr. Fantastic, does that sound like something anyone would really want to call themselves? No, but that's the kind of thing that made headlines and T-shirts and action figures. He knew that would keep people from fearing them. You see, glamour and fame weren't options. They were necessities. Because maybe by turning his friends into celebrities, he could be forgiven for taking their normal lives away. Someday. I mean, Mark waited his best. <laughs> um, just... A year or two later, Fantastic Four 511, they went back to the old numbers, he, Ben Grimm has died in a fight with Doctor Doom, and he's actually, the Fantastic Four go to the hereafter to bring him back. I've read this. I remember this one. 
they actually they meet the supreme being. I'm not. I don't want to insult everyone and say he's God, but they meet. They meet God. God takes the form of Jack Kirby, <laughs> and they walk in, and there's this little guy at his drawing table, and he's just toiling away. And he brings the thing back. He fixes him. He draws all the rocks back. While he's doing that, he gets a call from his collaborator, who's obviously Stan. <laughs> it is just brilliant and touching. And it, Justin, you read in. Did you love? Yeah, I can remember. I, I haven't read a ton of Fantastic Four, but I remember reading certain things from certain books. I remember them uh, losing their fortune and Mister Fantastic having to get like a nine to five job, and Sue being yep. like, "I know you could fix this in like one second by by creating something that will get rid of zits forever." Yes, <laughs> but she's like, "I want you to work through your process so they all get like regular jobs mm-hmm. and stuff." And I remember this issue, and it stood out to me because Ben can't get into heaven; he's like stuck on the outside yes, because and of his it, brother. And yes. when he opens the door, it's he's Ben. But when he opens the door, it's the thing, like yes. all, the, all the, rocks. The, the rocks blocking him. And the reason for it was what I don't I don't remember the exact reason that it's, he was being blocked over his brother, yeah, his brother Daniel. And I yeah. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, here's my cheating bit. Since we're talking <laughs> about FF history, it's Fantastic Four two thirty six, which was the twentieth anniversary issue. It's written, drawn, and inked by John Byrne and entitled "Terror in a Tiny Town." It begins with all four of them having the same nightmare of, of the, the flight that leaves them transformed. But wait a tick, what we see then is Reed going off to a teaching job. Ben is Ben, and he's running a tavern, and he says goodbye to his wife, the now sighted Alicia. Uh, as we come together, they all have this dream. It's all gone somewhat differently than, than you would anticipate. We have Reed befuddled unsure of himself. He's, he's got a job teaching in college. His boss is Professor Vaughn, who torments him constantly. And the story takes off from there into something that is just absolutely spectacular. I don't want to say too much because there are some interesting surprises. I'm even open this book up here. Uh, second story is a cartoon storyboard that Stan Jack had done that's been redone. Uh, Burns Run started at issue 232 and run to 293. And it is, to those of us who are fans, is certainly accepting Stan and Jack's 102, well, 108 issues if you count the annuals, which is probably the greatest run of comic books by any two creators ever. Uh, it is. I'm not going to say maybe. It is. Because the, the amount of invention, because again, it's what is both issue 60, 511 here, and this 236 honor what Stan and Jack did. And in those first 100 issues, you're introduced to a reintroduction to the Submariner. Doctor Doom, the Skrulls, the Kree, the Black Panther, the Inhumans, the Silver Surfer, the Marvel Universe begins in this book. So no matter what happens in cinema screens <laughs> or what people want to say, this book is lousy and won't translate anymore. It's a matter of, as Mark Wade says in, in number 60, if you make a, the shirt says, if you make a book about the people and not the costumes, people will like it. And that's where they have to go back. So um, just because... <laughs> Uh, that's not the real one. <laughs> it's a reprint, but it's still a 50-year-old reprint. Uh, I have a Fantastic Four one sitting here. Uh, for everyone who can't remember, because there's no one around as old as I am in our little community here. Uh, it, not on Earth. Yeah. But in, in, our, in our community, there aren't. This book changed comic books. The DC books at the time were very good. I read tons of them. I still have them. They were all, the characters were very similar. 
they were all heroes. Nothing bad ever really happened. Not They never disagreed. Everyone got along. Here was a book with a monster as a lead character. That They didn't get along. They fought. They argued. They quit the team. They did all this other stuff. They had literal feet of clay. Things didn't go as they wanted, and they didn't care much for each other and still made it happen. They were not a dysfunctional family. They were a family who worked through their issues. So as I've said for a lot of other things to Stan and Jack and to John Byrne and to Mark Wade and Roy Thomas, everyone else has toiled on this book and done a great job. Thank you. And one of these days, one of these days, movie screens will see. No, I'll, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. <laughs> That's it for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, interesting. Um, I, I have the first trade. You gave me the first yes. trade of the Mark Wade. I haven't read it yet, but I read the, he has a letter at the beginning, like a forward that he, that he talks about. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, the beginning was like, I never wanted to do a Fantastic Four book. And he says, like, he wasn't, like, even a huge fan of, he, like, he obviously had a huge respect mm -hmm. for the series, but he was never a huge fan. He didn't know it backwards and forwards. Um, and it, it, I think it was Tom Brevoort who came to him and asked him to do it. And he initially had said no. But then um, I think it was Morango and uh, Kessel? Kiesel. Kiesel, who basically said he had to do it. And, and he said as he went back and did research, he fell in love with with the characters and came up with his take from doing that so it's an interesting thing that that he you think you think of mark wade as kind of an all-encompassing comics like historian yes. right that he like no matter what character he does he knows it backwards and forward before he ever even gets asked to do something but i thought it was interesting that he had to come to his love of it in, in a way that he didn't expect that love shows on every page mm. for three years worth of worth of books uh Check it out. The trades are all around. I think there's an omnibus coming or one of the, mm. no, Ultimate Collection. Ultimate I, collection. I know Stephanie disagrees with the. <laughs> it's the Complete Collection. Complete is the Collection, one. Yeah, Volume 1. It's called Ultimate Collection. It's <laughs> more sense than Complete Collection split up into four volumes. <laughs> the Complete Collection, Volume 1. Ugh, this is not a Complete Collection. This is completely one-fourth of this, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, of this run. Um, all right, great. Thank you. All right. Stephanie. Hey. <laughs> what book do you have coming out in 2017 that you want to talk about? <laughs> uh, okay. So a couple um, couple months ago, maybe a month ago, I talked about um, the first volume of a book called Love, uh, The Tiger. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I was creeping on the net galleys, <laughs> which is my, my go-to for advanced copies. Um, and... Uh, they happened to have the second volume um, available. I don't know if I mentioned when I talked about the tiger, uh, if it was if I mentioned that it was going to be a trilogy. Um, so the first one was obviously the the tiger, and this one um, is the fox. Um, so I really thought the first volume of this was just phenomenal, um, as per my recommendation. Uh, and I, I honestly didn't think that, like, that could be surpassed. Um, and the second volume just blew me away. This is out a little bit sooner. So this is out in October, so a couple months. Um, but I, I really think that it's something that you should be aware of because um, it's something that you could pre-order and make sure you get on day one. And once again, it has no words in it at all. This book has no dialogue, but it's technically written uh, by Frederic Bourimont. Uh, Nicely done. <laughs> with art by Federico Berlucci. <laughs> yeah. 
Would you like a pizza pie? <laughs> Stephanie, that's offensive to Italians. Is it? I love pizza. <laughs> anyway, so these two talented people, talented, talented yes. people, talent um, people are the creators close. of uh, the love series. So once again, they did uh, the tiger, now the fox, um, and without words, they tell this incredible story about life in the wild but this time from the perspective of a fox um and how it survives on this isolated island um it is phenomenal the art is somehow better the story without words is somehow better wow um this is easily one of the most beautiful books i have ever picked up ever I am just like floored by how incredible this book is. Um, if it, the only thing I can kind of even compare it to uh, is Carl Kershaw's *The Abominable Charles Christopher*, uh, but even that has words in it, um, and this doesn't. It's just every panel tells such an amazing amount. Of story without ever saying a word. Um, there, there, there are so many characters that aren't characters. Uh, everything kind of has this sense of being alive. This island is alive. And at the beginning of the story, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but um, they mention how this book is called Love. And not because these animals love each other, um, be- but in the sense that we know, but because they love each other in a completely different way that we'll never be able to understand. They understand love in a different sense, like that, you know, they need to survive. Survival is love. Like um, The species as, as, a, as a collective kind of thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's this sort of circle of life thing. Um, that's their version of love. And it was just, uh, you just need to read these books. Magnetic Press has just been killing it. Um, You know, once again, they did Naja, which I've talked about and Mm -hmm. um, Steve talked about. Um, They introduced Bengal to North America. They were kind of the first people to be like, check out this amazing artist. And we're like, okay. (laughs) Batgirl? Want to do Batgirl? (laughs) Um, So, you know, like, you you need to read these books. Uh, (laughs) Again, The Fox comes out October 15th. Magnetic Press. um, Definitely make sure that you're picking this book up because it's just jaw-droppingly amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Do Do you need to read the first to read the second? No. These are standalone stories that have a common theme. Um, they don't interconnect in any way other than it's just this circle of life sort of tale. Not sort of, it is. Um, that, that's the only common thread. Um, they're completely different stories. You know, it's not just the same thing, but with a fox. Uh, it's, you know, I, I highly recommend reading The Tiger. I highly recommend reading The Fox. I don't know what the third one is, but when it comes out, if it's somehow better... Like, 
I'm going to build a shrine to these guys. <laughs> they are incredible. So check it out. All right. Awesome. Love the Fox out in October. And if you haven't read Love the Tiger yet, that's available now everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get on Amazon for $11. So <laughs> wow. it's so worth it. Check that out. It's this amazing hardcover. Like, so worth it. Yeah, Magnetic does beautiful editions of things. So definitely ch- check those out. Uh, all right, Justin. Hey there. Tell me about The Wicked and the Divine. Oh, The Wicked and Divine so good. Uh, I had read like the first two or three issues of this series and thought it was good, and, but just kind of like just fell away from it. And I collect a lot of image and trade anyway, so I figured, oh, I'll just get the trades. And I read the first trade and was like, oh, this, this is good. I'll, you know, I'll wait for the second. And so I waited whatever it was, like six months or seven months for the second one to come out. And uh, I read it like the same day I got it and then uh, was completely blown away by the ending of the second trade. And I said, I'm going to pick up every issue that comes out because, like, I need to know what happens after uh, after this. And uh, it's a beautiful book. Uh, Karen Gillan and who's the, the normal artist on this? Who is it? Jane uh, McKelvey. McKelvey, Come yeah. on, Justin. I, 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 I'm bad with names. I can't even say one of their names without <laughs> the other. <laughs> I forget names really easily. Um, but McKelvey's out right now. Mm. Um doing another series right now. Well, he's doing Phonogram with him right now, so I think he only does one series at a time. Uh, So they've got a bunch of guest artists coming in at an issue at a time. And so this is issue 13, um, the second issue since uh, they've come back, uh, or at least since the second trade's been out. This is the third arc, basically. Yeah, Yeah. so second issue of the third arc. And uh, this deals with Tara, who's a guy that we haven't really seen yet. And it's a single issue. um, And... Tara's a god who separated herself from the other gods. If you're not familiar with the Wicked and the Divine, basically every 90 years the gods return. And, uh, you know, they take over regular people, and they will live for two years, and then they will die. But during their two years, um, they bring their glory to people, and they do it through music. And uh, everybody's different, uh, you know. uh, So this god, Tara, she actually doesn't know what god she is. Um, She she apparently didn't pay close enough attention. (laughs) But the reason that this book stood out to me so much um, was because the monologue of the entire book is from Tara's uh, perspective. And uh, she's tortured. You know, she, she realizes that people love her just for her ability to bring out this god's power. But anytime that she tries to do her own thing, you know, uh, write her own poetry and share it with people, she gets bottles thrown at her. Like, people don't want her for that. They want her for her abilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's tortured by this, and uh, I think that this book is really important for people to read, and I think it should be necessary to read this book if you are ever going to have an account on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, This book has done a lot of stuff uh, with social media. Um, They've never shied away from it. I mean, they've mentioned Twitter and followers and this and that hundreds of times. Uh, But there is a two-page spread in the middle of this book uh, where Tara is looking at her tablet and it is, I'll say, about 40 or 50 just uh, tweets that she gets from people. And it's just some of the worst stuff that anybody could have ever, you know, you could ever say to another person. And it's over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, it makes you think, like, I personally can't stand Twitter for the most part. Like, I try very hard not to be on it, uh, except to follow Met scores. Uh, <laughs> and I, 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 I've thought about deleting my account just numerous times just because, like, I feel like for all the good it does, uh, it can be like a giant cesspool. And this is the cesspool part. And it's showing what people can really be like. Like, you know, if you're a regular person like me, you're not getting all these, these attacks or these things set at you. Uh, but this happens to other people. 
and I find that intensely disturbing. And so, like, what the book was trying to do, it accomplished, at least with me, and to say, like, hey, like, people, celebrities or, you know, people with lots of followers, like, you know, it, it seems all good and fine and how amazing that must be. But at the same time, there's something that they're dealing with or that people deal with that you're probably not noticing. And this is drawing attention to that. And for that reason alone, I think everybody should read this just because Twitter is such like a, a huge part in uh, in the public consciousness right now. And it's probably going to be a part of our lives moving forward from here on out until something comes and replaces it. But, you know, the anonymity that people use online to just say whatever they want, like it's it sucks. And uh, this book brings that out in a big way. I'm um, not going to give away the ending of the book, obviously, uh, but I highly recommend the series just for the fact that, you know, it's great. It's written and drawn perfectly. And uh, this issue stood out to me uh, in a big way for the reasons that I mentioned. If you guys have any thoughts about Justin's thoughts on Twitter, he's at Joroke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't expect any responses. There you go. As many eggs as possible, please comment on his on whatever he says. I'll take all those eggs. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that it's it's keeping up its its quality after after this long. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, awesome. All right, so uh, I had a little uh, little binge buy this week. Yeah, uh, and I, I spoke about it last week, but my I, I got a lot of trades. I got I got two library editions of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I also got the entire. All the trade paperbacks with Sweet Tooth um, to read. Um, but I also got the first, the, the three volumes of Lazarus by Greg Rocca and Michael Lark that, that are out right now. And, you know, I wasn't sure which I was going to read. And I, you know, it's, it's something, I think like something that's tough, right? When you've read the first volume of something, but it's been a long time. When I sit down to want to read something, it's tough for me to go, okay, I need to reread the first volume, which is what I've already read, or to, to read the to, second yeah. volume, which I haven't read. You get the point, like, I just, I don't want to feel like I'm not making progress. I just want to, <laughs> if I read something, I want to something new. But I was like, you know what? I, I bought these. I want to read them. It's been, I mean, it had to have been a year since I had read the first, you know, arc of, of Lazarus. So it's time to buckle down and just, probably over a year, and just, and just read it. So I did. I reread the first trade, which I had loved the first volume when it was out. It, it was well, you know, one of my best new series of that year. Um, and I was like, all right, good. This series is exactly how I remember it. I'm ready to go and read the next two. And um, after reading, I read volumes two and three in, in one day. And it, it's just, it gets even better after that first volume. It's it's an amazing amazing series i've read a lot of what greg has done not everything but a lot he's been he, he's been fantastic his entire career i think this is one of his best works uh the lead character of, of forever carlisle is fascinating and well drawn and in both visual and in character uh, and her journey is is fascinating to me her relationship with her her family with her, the other Lazarus who are who are, who are part of this world, um, is also just so rich w w with stuff to talk about, and just the overall world building is, is astounding that, that that's happening in in the book. And you know, uh, as far as that's kind of my overall view of it, the story itself is also really exciting i mean that the kind of climax of that last issue of volume three has this 
big duel and it's about like three pages with no dialogue it's just a sword fight between these two Lazarus characters and it's heart stopping how, how tense and exciting it is and it's just a, a great great series and I'm so excited to continue reading it I think there's two more issues left in this arc that's coming out right now I believe the sec- the last issue comes out December 30th in that arc so I'm figuring early October for the next trade so I'm looking forward to that um, but, but I want to get a little bit detail about it but before I do that I know Justin's a big fan of it too I was wondering what you had to say it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Lazarus was a, a book just like The Wicked and Divine. Like, I read the first two or three issues. I think it was just two issues. And I thought it was good. But certain books I read and I'm like, this is just going to read better to me in trade. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I, I forget a lot of stuff. So when I would pick up an issue, I'd forget where I was on the next issue. So same thing. I, I got, got the first trade. Uh, actually, I bought all three. Like, oh, I think I bought all three three trades and then read them uh within like a day or so as well like once you start that series it's really hard to put it down Mm -hmm. and uh you mentioned a point to me earlier this week when you had mentioned uh that you had finished it and i thought it was a great point that you should definitely bring out that the lazarus or the lazari or (laughs) whatever whatever the the the, uh, the plural of that (laughs) is like they're the human characters Mm -hmm. in this world where everybody's crazy yeah so, like, these people that can come back from the dead mm-hmm. are the ones that are, like, have the most humanity about them. Yeah. The idea, so the idea of the world, people are reading it to do a better job. So the idea of Lazarus is, um, it's it's kind of a post-apocalyptic story, and but instead of, instead of things being drawn on, like, who can survive the best, who has the most weaponry, it's it's a, it's cut up basically via money. So it's kind of almost returned to mid, mid, medieval sort of fiefdoms where there are these ruling families and they have... And if you, you work hard enough and you do the right stuff, you can become kind of serfs of, of, the, of the families get protection by them. And if you're not, you're just kind of what they call waste. You're just a population. And, and the waste, of course, far outweighs the serfs and obviously the families by, by a ton. Um, and there are several families. The Carlisle family is the one that we're following and they are sort of the, the, the technology kind of experts, like the scientific experts of all of them. They've come up with this sort of formula to keep themselves living much longer than anyone else. They have nearly eternal life in, in, in some moments. Like the, the son is like 90 years old and he looks like he's 30 or, or whatever, yeah. you know? So they have that. And that's a, uh, and it allows them to have allowed them to kind of press their advantage because they are allowed to accumulate knowledge and, and intelligence far longer than anyone else's, uh, any of their rivals. But each family has what they call a Lazarus, which is a warrior, basically a selected warrior that is sort of the general, the head of the military, you know, and, and is sort of the sword of the family. Uh, you know, if, if, if they get into a dispute with the family, it could be like we, one Lazarus fights the other Lazarus, you know, and that's how we decide this duel, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and like the lead knight sort, sort of sort of situation. All these, these people are basically bred to be warriors and killers, and as, as Justin was saying, they are the most human characters in the entire thing. When they get together, they are the, they are warm and funny and familiar with each other. And they appreciate each other and they love each other, even though they're bred to be enemies. While everyone else is kind of these squabbling children who just want to grab more power, the people who actually have to do the fighting are these really mature, sort of interesting characters. I think that's brought out so well, and I think it's in the third trade, and not much of a spoiler, but eventually all the families meet together for mm-hmm. something. And you had talked about the duel. Yeah. So before this happens, all the Lazaruses get together 
And I think they're playing cards. They're playing poker. Yeah. And wow. it's the most civil thing. And they, there's an understanding like tomorrow we may be killing each other, mm-hmm. but for right now we're not. So let's just enjoy our, uh, enjoy each other's company. And they all do that. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like you during that battle like you could cut the tension with a knife. Mm-hmm. But during this part where it's like all these killers are sitting together, you're like, this is the most comfortable part of the book I've read yet. Yeah. And it's amazing how he's able to do that. Yeah. And he does a great job creating these characters, not only Forever, who's a, who is an awesome character, but creating characters you love, creating characters you hate, creating characters you can't figure out, like if you should love or should hate them. Yeah. And, you know, the first trade focuses mainly, right, on, on the family and what's going on with the family. And you, you get to know everyone in there and who they are and what their kind of motivations are. And then the second trade, they introduce these other characters, like these kind of waste characters who, um, a- a- and these sort of re- rebellious characters. And within pages, you, you kind of already know who they are. You understand them. You get their plight. You, you get what's going on with them. And he does a great job. And, uh, and I'd say that half the credit has to go to Michael Lark, who is a wonderful artist and a frequent Rucka collaborator who draws these characters wonderfully who renders these action scenes and these emotional scenes in, in great detail and, and with great effectiveness and any anything that Ruck asks him to do he does beautifully um and it's just a wonderful series uh i i'm so happy that i i, I read those trades this weekend and it's one of my favorite things going right now after after reading that uh yeah it's just great i recommend everyone lazarus volume one two and three I think volume one and two are collected in mm-hmm. a nice hardcover. Yeah, uh, hardcover. Um, which it's so funny when I when I saw it, I was like, I don't need that. I'll just buy the the regular ones. Same and then thing. After I read it, I was like, I should probably get the hardcover. <laughs> it has uh, extra stuff, I'm sure. Uh, it probably does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just great, great stuff. I recommend anybody who likes Rucka, anyone who loves cool, you know, post post apocalyptic stories, great character stories, whatever. Re- read it because it's just a really, really great thing. I love in that third trade where it starts spindling out to these other people and you see kind of forever and her people from other people's perspectives. You know, we get that perspective of the waste. It adds more depth to, to the world. Yeah. I think it's very, very oh. cool. Yeah. It's really, really great. Really, really great. Um, can't recommend it enough. All right. So that's Lazarus volume one through three. All right. Let's move on to our, our shared book of the week, which is John flood. Number one uh, from boom studios. Um, this was Steve's book of the week. Obviously he is not here. So I will, I will kind of steer the ship. I'm going to get the book up here so I can get all of the, uh, creator information. Correct. As, as I go through it here. So finally someone else picks a book and then isn't here. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> not just me. It's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, it's written by Justin Jordan. It's illustrated by Jorge, Col- uh, Colho, uh, colors by Tamara Bovillian and letters by Ed Dukeshire. Uh, so it's says John Flood created by Justin Jordan. So John Flood is a private detective who had, uh, stuff done to him where he can no, no longer never has to sleep again. But in doing so, he has no separation between what's the dream state and what's reality. So his reality can oftentimes look like dreams and he has a tough time parsing out what's real and what's not. Uh, so that's kind of his, his thing. This first issue though, deals mainly with, um, uh, interaction between John Flood's current assistant and who will soon be his new assistant and indoctrinating him into what is going on and, and what, what is happening with, with this, this mysterious man. 
Um, and also leads up to who our, our villain is, is probably going to be at least for this first arc. Um, Bob, what did you think of John Flood? I thought it was okay. Um, I thought the premise didn't really get fleshed out enough. It's a really interesting idea that not only he hasn't slept in 10 years, he can make connections in his mind that no one else can see because of that. He, everything is sort of yes. separated differently for him, yeah. so they're reconnected. And he's he a third more time to, to go over yes. problems in his head. He's, no, you know, he's not sleeping. Uh, um, I, I found him the least compelling character of the bunch. I thought Alexander and Lita were both really interesting. Having just rewatched the the Incredibles, I, I thought the Mirage character reminded me a little bit of Lita <laughs> here for for some reason. Art was really bold, really really interesting. I think that, that was a very much of a standout. This is a possibility. This is a very slow burn sort of series that you won't really know where we're going. Is this a mini or are we? I think it's ongoing. Out? I'm pretty sure okay. it's ongoing. We may not know where this series is actually going to be because you're saying it's a passing of the torch, mm-hmm. four or five issues in. I'd have to see a couple of more to go forward, I think. Mm. Um, Stephanie, what did you think? I I felt like it was like very lesh caught. Mm. Okay. I was very confused by this book. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I don't know. I read it just before the show. So, I mean, I don't know if maybe it was just because I didn't get a chance to read it more thoroughly Mm. but I mean I didn't rush through it either and I didn't really like a lot of it went over my head I mean I get the general concept and everything but a lot of what happened just kind of like uh metaphorically went in one ear and out the other Mm -hmm. um it just it, it just wasn't a great first issue for me yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that uh, I liked, like Bob was saying, I like the concept a lot. I think the idea of it is really cool. I don't think the first issue delivers on the concept for me personally 100%. I feel like uh, we kind of got this set up with who the the character is, and then we transition away from him into this other character who who is probably going to be our... Watson, for lack of a better yes. term, throughout, and it, it definitely has a a Sherlock Holmes vibe. I think to the layout of the story and to John Flood being this sort of obviously genius but eccentric and hard to understand and hard to live with sort of private detective. Uh, and I like that setup. I think that's a cool setup, a cool idea. I always enjoy Sherlock Holmes styled stories. I think they're obviously tried and true and offer a lot of interesting opportunities, but. I feel like that first scene where you, you know who he is, we kind of get the first imagery, which the imagery is striking, right? Where you see him looking at the detective and it's like, who he has this weird view of mm-hmm. him sitting on like kind of almost this throne and it's all red. And he's just sitting in a police interrogation room. But there isn't a big kind of story beat in that cold open before we snap back. And it just, it feels like uh, we get, need to establish who he is very quickly so that when this other stuff makes sense, like I feel like almost that scene didn't necessarily need to, to, to be, be there, there yeah. you know, if we just start with with the with the assistant, with the new detective, and he's a mystery about who this guy is, I, I I think it's a more interesting story because then I'm not wondering where'd that guy go from the beginning. I want to see more of this this dream detective or, or or whatever. I'm just like, okay, who is this guy that they're talking about? And so I felt like that scene felt tacked on at, at, at the start. Um, so that that for me was was a downer a little bit. I. 
I think the world being established is cool. I like uh, the villain seems like he's going to be very nasty and he seems to also revel sort of in his nastiness, mm-hmm. which, I, which I enjoy. And I want to see the two of them butt heads. But I felt like in this first issue, we do not get, as you said, Bob, a satisfying sort of direction. Where is the series going? Who is the series really about? Who are these characters? I don't, I don't have the hook for issue two in issue one for me. And, and that's one of the big issues for it. I mean, I will say the art though is, is beautiful. It reminded me a little bit, sort of like a, it's sort of like a Ross, Riley Rossimo type of, just of vibe that. to it, uh, which I like. It's like Riley Rossimo meets Tyler Jenkins. Yeah. It does have mm-hmm. elements of both those in there. Absolutely. And, and I like that. I like the art a lot. I think like you said, about it, it's very bold. It's very interesting. It's very eye catching. And just like, Speaking of Rossmo, I can see the ability for the scary stuff and the weird stuff to get really weird and really scary. Uh, that's and it also kind of just that's I think why it reminds me of a Lesh Caught too. Mm. Like it's kind of like the art's kind of trippy. It is a little trippy, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's more understandable than most of Alesh Kot's first issues. I will say that because <laughs> uh, I often am flummoxed by by what what's going on there. But there is definitely a, a lot going on here, and the way it sort of jumps between scenes, I think, is sometimes a, a little bit jarring. Uh, and I, I think it's a a good first issue, not a great first issue. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things where if I could go right to issue two, then issue three, issue four, issue five. I would probably be much more forgiving uh, of the shortcomings of a single issue, but just reading this issue by itself, I had, um, I, I didn't come away with it really excited. Well, let's say this would come out as an original graphic novel, mm-hmm. and then you introduce the John Flood character halfway through, quarter of the way through, the third man, mm-hmm. Orson Welles' character shows up 40 minutes into the movie, but all everyone's done up until that point is talk about him. Mm. I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah. Now it's, well, I saw what he does and now we don't see him again. Yeah. Or don't reference what that was about. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of threw me. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, now you got a chance to kind of look through it quickly before we, before we started. Yeah, super quickly. <laughs> uh, about like three minutes before we started. I, I feel like a lot of the same things that Steph did. Um, I feel, I was kind of confused, like right out of the beginning, because you talked about it, you see the scene with him with that other detective and then they just cut away from that. Like, I'm not a big fan of when storytelling puts you like, this is happening right now. Let's go back 20 hours. Mm. I hate that. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Because, like, I was like, I already have seen where we're going to be. I don't care how, like, how we get there now doesn't matter. I care about what happens from that point forward. I, For me, the storytelling should just be, this is where we are and we move forward from here. I, I hate knowing where we're going before we get there. Uh, I feel like it's like you need to queue up Drake Started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> Justin does not know that song. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. We're not as cool yeah, as, we're not as, cool as you. We're not as cool as you. Like, God. We're not as cool as you. Would I get your shit together. <laughs> Actually, I only know that song because of... Is it in Broad City? I feel like it's in Broad City. Well, now, now you're switching up the narrative on Justin. He's not going to remember where he was now. <laughs> What I like, Sorry, about, what I, it's okay. What I like it's about like you're it on the show once every now and again, you can put up with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Just interrupting you. I'm on. A, I'm on a podcast. I know how podcast goes. Yeah. Uh, what I did like about it, or what I thought was interesting, was we talked about it briefly. What is not sleeping due to a person? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you, you see the new assistant walk into a house, and there's just books everywhere, mm-hmm. and like, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Like, if I didn't sleep, I would spend a lot of time reading. But like. The guy gets a gun drawn on him. And he's like, 
whatevs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not bothered by this at all. He's not going <laughs> to shoot. And it's like, does that, does he know this guy? Or is that just like a, a factor of not sleeping that his brain just works differently? Like, I don't perceive danger in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's interesting to me. And I'd like, for me, it, like, same things. Like, it, it's an okay first issue. I would probably pick up the second to see where it goes. But, like, that's the hook that's got me is... What is what is this guy's deal now that he's not sleeping? What else can he do besides see patterns that we can't he's see? He's kind of Constantine-ish. He has that yes. um, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's like missing, I mean, that sort of supernatural edge. But even kind of the look and his demeanor is very Constantine-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, Justin, the conceptually, it's awesome. Like, and I, Those ideas are really great. For me, I, for first issue, you need to like, Punch me, you know. You need to, like shock me into being yeah. like, I really want to keep going with this. Like, I, it's something like I love. I love when stories do that thing that you hate. Oh, it's the worst. I, yeah. it, I love uh, it. I love when like you, you like a lot of my favorite TV shows. They begin with they show you this really like somebody's getting tortured uh, you know, in a, in a chair, and then they're like twelve hours previously. And, and, and that I love that because I love seeing how things come to that point. I don't know if it's just me, but like I feel like. I'm seeing this more and more and more like just for, just in, in comics. I mean, also sure in TV, uh, TV shows and stuff, but like, I feel like in the last year I've seen it more than I've ever seen it before. <laughs> and every time it's like, not again. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, it's uh, a big JJ Abrams thing. JJ mm-hmm. Abrams loves that, that storytelling. It's how he starts the alias. He's, so many episodes, episodes of alias begin with, with that very thing. Um, and it's also a big thing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, who did West wing and he did social network. He always says, "Start the story as close to the end as possible." That's, he, he thinks that because that's that's the most interesting time in the story, and that's how you grab people. Uh, and so I like that tor- that device, but in here I felt like th- that scene is there's nothing. I, I guess it's supposed to make you like, how did this guy get arrested by the? Why is he arrested by the police? I, I guess that's the question they want you to a- ask. But because you don't know the character, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I was gonna yeah. say maybe in Marvel comics it's easier to pull off because. You know where Spider-Woman, you know, Spider-Woman's being attacked by this big machine. You know it's Spider-Woman. Yeah. But here we're getting this character. We have no idea who he is or what his story is. So then it becomes more frustrating. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, okay, maybe John Fudge just always is in the police station. Like, I don't know that. So that isn't, that's not enough shock to me yeah. to, to, think, to think about it. But I think it's one of those things where a lot of people will still pick up the second issue of this because um, Justin Jordan has established himself. Like, he's not... You know, I don't think he's like an A-list creator at this point, but he has proven that he can tell a compelling story. So I think a lot of people will come back to this Mm -hmm. kind of to see how this plays out. Because, I mean, Image isn't going to just publish everything that he does. He's not Mm -hmm. Brian K. Vaughn, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to believe in the story that he has. So if – or I guess this is an image. This is boom. boom. But still, the same thing goes, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think a lot of people will check out the second issue based on his name because over the last few years he's become um, one of those people that people are watching out for and they want to follow. Uh, so, yeah, like, again, this isn't, like, on the story alone, this isn't compelling for me to want to come back to, but based on Justin, it's something I would try again. Yeah, I mean, this Justin here... I know that you love Luther Schrode. Yes, and that would be a big. Stephanie just said that that would be a big reason for me to pick up issue two because I love Luther Strode, mm. and so like I would put faith in Justin Jordan that this is going somewhere. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like he obviously, I mean, and Luther Strode has been um, told in 
basically sort of three different volumes now. And uh, I've only read part of the first one, but, you know, that keeps coming back and people keep coming back to that, which really says something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, 100%. I mean, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will definitely, even if I don't keep picking this up, I'm definitely going to look for it when it hits trade because I, I would like to see it all collected in the story. Um, let's go to our, our Twitter here and see what our... But our I friends. Drake stuck in my head now. <laughs> That's you do it to yourself. Thanks a lot, somebody, for saying something that triggered some random thing in my mind. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Stephanie, for posting that picture of me as. Um, You're welcome. I can't remember his name right now. Drake. Richard yeah. Simmons. Richard Simmons. That's oh. his name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. This is what happens when you share with us, Bobby. Yes. Uh, and to be fair, I I don't want to take full responsibility for this. This was like, I mean, this was like Photoshop my fault, but this is really Hugh's fault. Why? He was the one that sent me a picture and was like, this is Bobby. And he uh, sent me um, just some dude in like short shorts and... Um, a headband, and he was like, "This is Bobby." Sounds like you. And yeah, then he yeah. was like, "Photoshop this." Actually, no, I think I told him to Photoshop <laughs> this. He's like, "I have no skills." And I was like, "Okay, I'll Photoshop this." Well, so thanks. it was mostly sort of, kind of. Okay, it was both of us, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks so much, you. Um, it, was, it was like I, I want to say sixty forty. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's them. what our listeners think of oh, John right, Flood that, number one. Yep, 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 yep. Um, Toxic Cleaner says, first issue was good, not great. Art was the star for me, but the dialogue seemed clunky. Probably trade weight this. Um, Mike D. Hughes at Superhero Chef says, okay, I was into the characters and the art was fun, but I need more of what's going on inside John's mind. The cover was a tease. Um, Trevor Spence says, a first read through of John Flood was all right. Second read was much better. Might turn out to be a pretty cool. Definitely getting issue two. Um, Pete Goodwin says, I love the first issue of John Flood. I'm intrigued as to where the story is going to take us. Bring on issue two. Uh, Jason Dunn says, got to fit in John Flood on my honeymoon right now. I think uh-huh. the beach made the read even better. Well, Jason, thank you very much. That's a, you're very committed. Um, <laughs> at Batfons, whose Twitter name is now, hey, uh, <laughs> says, nice art, great premise, missed chance to show Flood's unique, uh, unique skills at work. He tells us, but I demand evidence. Um, okay, first issue. Brad Pinder says, few words, odd, wacky, curious, intriguing, musing, interesting, enjoyable, addictive, addicted to his writing style, great first issue. Uh, Mike, who's at Liberal Bastion, says, um, very good choice for Book of the Week. Seemed like it, it's true detective if it were written by Peter David. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the John Flood, you might also like the movie Zero Effect, very much in the same spirit. And Mike and I had a little chat about Zero Effect, because that's a movie that I love. Huh. Uh, uh, Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller, uh, Jake Kasdan wrote and directed it. It's really, really good. Really, really enjoyable movie. People should definitely watch it. It's, good. Yep. it's got, also got a Sherlock Holmesy vibe. It's basically like a Sherlock yes. Holmes story. Wow. Uh, so that was our shared book of the week for this week. So um, it's my choice for next week. Not pick a lo- something good, Bobby. I w- I will not pick something good. Uh, uh, I'm gonna pick something <laughs> intentionally bad. Uh oh. Um, no, no, no. I'm gonna. Uh, hopefully, this is gonna be good. Uh, so. I'm picking an image title. It's called The Beauty, number one. It's, uh, I want to read that. Uh, written now I have by, to. <laughs> written by Jeremy Hahn, story by Jason A. Hurley, and art by Jeremy Hahn. So that's The Beauty, number one, from I Image like they were, Comics. like, retweeting people with, like, beards and stuff, like, like because they were, like, the hashtag The Beauty. <laughs> and Jeremy Hahn was, like, retweeting things. I'm like, why are all these, like, men with beards in my feed? What's happening? <laughs> 
It's like, Jeremy. <laughs> um, yes, I'm excited about that. There was, uh, I mean, there's some good stuff coming out next next week, but we're kind of in a period where we're past all of sort of the Secret Wars number ones, all of the new DC number ones. So a lot of the big two titles are, you know, deep into arcs and stuff like that. So it's kind of tough to. I'm pretty okay in. with this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. I'm, I'm definitely Jeremy excited. Hunt, like I, I mean, I just recently read his Wolf Moon. Mm-hmm. So, oh, was good. so, so good. Yeah. You read that too, Justin, right? Yes, it was very good. Oh, so good. I can't uh, wait for people to read that. In, like, I, I, I suspect a lot of people are waiting for the trade. Hmm. Han did the art for that, right? Isn't Colin yeah, Bunn yeah. the writer on Wolf Moon? Um, okay. Who yeah. wrote it? Who Colin wrote Bunn. It? Colin yeah. Bunn, yeah. Well, <laughs> so for seven years, listen to me, even in the moment I'm speaking. It's Colin Bunn. <laughs> it's Colin Bunn. What? Okay. Bobby? Talking? <laughs> what? Can't say something. <laughs> uh, he also did uh, the art for way back now, but the, the Riddler issue of the Villains Month. Uh, way back, he did the art for that, oh. and there was really, really nice art in that book. So, uh, looking forward to it. I, I'm, it's, it's cool. I haven't, I don't really know much of his writing, so I'm interested to see how that all writes up. But his, his art is, it's great. Uh, and oddly enough, this is where Bob and Stephanie are going to be leaving us. Yes. <laughs> um, Stephanie, why don't you give out your, your, your Twitter handle for us? Yeah, you guys can find me at Hello Cookie. And uh, see my bike, bench it. <laughs> <laughs> we will all look for your bike, even this side of the board. <laughs> Bob, email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And uh, yeah, guys, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, Justin and I are going to review Fantastic Four. And uh, Bob and Stephanie go out and get to have lives. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Good night, Bless Steph. you for doing this. <laughs> all right, we'll see you. We'll be back in a second, guys. Right, we are back. Justin. Bob. It's j- not Bob. Bob's left. That's right. Bobby. I'm, Bob. I'm Bobby. I There's too many of you guys. I know. Well, when there's this many, you have to delineate, so you can't call me Bob, because it just completely screws everything up. Bobby. Yeah. Um, we are back, um, and we're going to be reviewing uh, The Fantastic Four. Best movie of the year. <laughs> Which just, just opened in theaters this past weekend. Uh, one of the lowest openings for a major comic book movie since I, I don't even ever really what was the weekend 26 26 or 28 it was somewhere between 26 28 they predicted around 50 um uh but after the reviews came out it's it, it the the first day did like 11 or 12 i think and then after that it just it fell very quickly i was actually surprised it got that high uh you know it was tracking pretty well up until the reviews are coming out obviously the review every, uh, by this point where it's Tuesday, if you're listening to this live on, on Patreon, it's Wednesday if you're listening to this on the podcast or watching us because we have video going on right now. Hey there. <laughs> um, and the, the story of the Fantastic Four movie in the in the media has already been told, right? We, we've got 8% um, Rotten Tomatoes score, flexion between 8 and 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's so bad. <laughs> um, we've, you know, from regular movies press to... Um, you know, geek press, it, it's been sort of consensus negative across the board. A lot of those reviews have been, let's just say, mean-spirited in, in their take. And I will say that while our review is not going to be a positive one of the movie, we are not going to be mean-spirited or 
kick kick something when it's down. But we do want to talk about the movie and what's right about the movie, what's wrong about the movie, and just break down what 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 it's all about when it, when it comes down to it. Um, so, Justin, uh, I Bob was we were not sure what Bob was going to do. <laughs> uh stephanie had said she wasn't going to see it and then steve obviously uh his his cat passed away so he couldn't be here today and i was like justin i need somebody to go see the movie so i could talk about it with somebody um and you were like okay i'll do it so i was very grateful for that Uh, it makes it sound like i was doing something like super dangerous like i need you to go you know into the heart of battle and go retrieve this item it was like all right i'll do this it was it was it's a very it's a daunting task Uh, and so we sent you out and, and you went to see it. And what was funny was that you texted me. You're like, I'm in the movie right now. And then nothing. <laughs> then it was nothing. I didn't hear anything about the movie uh, from you. And so I went in. I saw it on Monday. Um, and again, it was a weird situation, right? Because not only had I heard about um, the bad reviews, but the, the stories that started coming out, right? That Josh Trank had tweeted this tweet about how the movie he had made would have got good reviews. This is not the movie that he intended to come out. And then that tweet got deleted, but then there was some message board and forum stuff and a lot of reports from, from different people in the studio that a lot of stuff had happened to the movie. So it's, it's very interesting to go into a movie having heard all of that already. That's what put me off from seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I will generally go see every superhero movie that comes out. And uh, when I saw what Trank said, I was just like, I'm, you know, it's, it's hard to get to the movies now for me with the kids. So I was like, I'm, if I get to go to the movies, it's not going to be see Fantastic Four. <laughs> right. But uh, it was. <laughs> but it was. Uh, I no go, Mission Impossible for you. I had to go into this theater I haven't been to since I was like 15, mm. uh, Movie Land Cinemas, which is that, like, oh, yeah, that yeah, tiny yeah. little one. And I was like, I went in there. There was nobody in there. I'm like, how are you still in business? <laughs> and I was like, Fantastic, one for Fantastic Four, please. And he's like, whatever. And he gave me a <laughs> ticket. And so I go into this like really old style movie theater where there's a, a slope and like mm. not stadium uh, style seating and I'm the only person in the movie theater and I was like well this is kind of weird yeah. but like alright let's sit down and, and try and enjoy this this masterpiece <laughs> uh, Movie Land is actually the theater I used to go to growing up it was like the th- it was, it's right by my parents house yeah, and I, yeah. and I had not been there since I was like 14 years old <laughs> uh, so so yeah so Fantastic Four directed by Josh Trank um it tells the story of Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, and how they become uh, the superpowered beings. Uh, this this version of the movie takes a lot of inspiration uh, from the Mark Miller Ultimates run, um, and also takes like a kind of a, a very big sci-fi look at it and hard sci-fi not sort of like fun fantastical sci-fi a more hard sci-fi type yeah. of thing i think trank himself referenced kind of cronenberg and stuff while making the movie um and i think the build-up to it you know we've had conversations on the show i've had conversations with you privately about kind of my expectations and thoughts about the movie and my my kind of feelings about it right where i i, I look i'm looking at these trailers i know it's not going to be the fantastic four movie that is in the spirit of the comics. I know it's going to be something different, and I'm going to have a problem with that. Hopefully, at least, what we get is a good science fiction movie. If, if he's going for his own take, I might not agree with the take, but if it's a, if it's a good movie, at least there, there's something there. And I would say, you know, breaking into a review, and if people haven't, haven't listened to our reviews before, the first half of this review will be um, spoiler-free, just general impressions, and then we'll break into spoilers. I will say that this review is probably going to be more weighted towards the spoiler section than most, because... 
A lot of the stuff to talk about is very plot-specific stuff that you kind of have to break into in order for us to really break it down. But yeah. we will give you full warning before we break into any sort of any sort of spoilers. Um, that being said, I was hoping maybe at least get a good science fiction movie. And I will say, I think the first act of the movie, it has its problems, right? It has problems in the first act. But the first act is pretty good, I would say. I agree. Um, I was like, okay... And the thing is, like, if I'd seen this on opening night, I would've been like, "Oh, that's weird. Everybody was saying such bad things." I had heard already that the first act was pretty good, and that that it fell from there. So I was already kind of waiting for it to happen. But I was watching it, and despite all going with all of this knowledge about what the movie's been through, you know, the problems with the movie, the reviews of the movie, I found myself engaged and enjoying the first thirty minutes of the movie um, as a science fiction movie with character names that I recognized, <laughs> um, uh, and also. Ties to that ultimate, the, the ultimate Fantastic Four stuff, the Mark Miller. Yeah, uh, um, it's not exact. It's not even. Exa- I don't want people going to think this is an adaptation of that. It has elements of that. It's not exactly that either. There's a lot of differences between the two. But I enjoyed that first act. I was like, okay, this is this is pretty good. Um, I liked Miles Teller as as Reed Richards. Um, I enjoyed Kate Mara as, as as Sue Storm for that first part of the movie. I, I thought both did pretty well. What was your thoughts about the beginning of the movie? Uh, like you, like when I had first saw the trailers, I was actually jazzed for the movie. Uh, we had one of our classic text arguments about yes. that. <laughs> uh, that, that, that one actually stretched out a few days, I yeah, think. It did. Uh, but like, I was excited for it because I was a fan of the ultimate, uh, fantastic four run. And I saw bits and pieces of that in there. Uh, so I was like, you know, everything that I'm seeing here, uh, you heard Dr. Storm's voice. Um, and I thought he was part of the movie that actually worked really well. Uh, I was excited for it, and then more and more stuff comes out, and you know, you had heard like, "Oh, this could possibly be really bad in the in the previous couple of months." But whatever, we go see the movie, and I sat down, and for the first half, uh, I'll say like the first quarter of the movie, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I liked seeing the, you know, I liked seeing, and they had shown this in the trailer, like the most recent trailer, like Reed as like a middle schooler, like creating this portal mm-hmm. uh, that'll like, you know, what he thinks is just like a like a, trying to what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, have things travel from one, uh, one place to another. It, 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 yeah. One place on the earth to another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you like, like, I liked seeing that. Like mm-hmm. there's a scene where he's in his garage with Ben and their kids and like, you know, they're, they're turning it on and they, and they look over and it's, he's got like 15 N64 <laughs> stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I like this is ex- like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. You're seeing like what a brilliant 12 year old could do if you know, if he really put his mind to it, and like I thought that part was all fun. I, mm. I thought seeing them at the science fair was fun. I, I I thought seeing him be almost ridiculed in a way for you know his genius by a teacher who doesn't understand anything was like was interesting. You know, it it, it gave some of his motivation. And up until like you know we get into like I guess like the big the second act of the film, I was like this wasn't the dumpster fire that I was told it was going to be. <laughs> like. You know, I was I was enjoying myself. Yeah, um, and I, I agree with you. You know, I I, I think that there th- there are some I think bumps in, in that first act. I think you can you you start to see in that science fair scene. I think the DNA of what's going to bring the rest of the movie down, which is it's a it's it feels truncated. It feels v- like they reshot the scene to make it shorter because. He does this thing. He shows this thing off. All of a sudden, Doctor Storm is there, and he's like, "I'm going to give you a full scholarship." And then they're gone. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, he's there. You don't. Get, you. It. It just. It feels very rushed. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, it didn't bother me as much because I felt the beginning of the movie was good. But 
that is a symptom of what's going to happen for the rest of the movie that's really going to drag the rest of the movie down, in my opinion. The editing of the movie is bad. It is. Uh, yeah. There are scenes, um, and I, you know, I'm watching a movie, I'm not going to pay attention to this, uh, but like there are scenes where Reed comes in with a five o'clock shadow, mm-hmm. and then he comes out and the five o'clock shadow is gone. Yeah. So the the reshoots that they did, and you had heard that they were doing reshoots, mm-hmm. um, they really affected the movie. I had heard that there was like half hour footage pulled out of the movie. That's what I heard as well. And, and you can see it too, Kate Mara, at one point she has like long blonde hair, at another point she has short, almost red hair in, 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 from scene to scene at, at times. So you can see the issues with, with, with the reshoots. But b- beyond even that, like you get through this point where, right, the, the and this is not a spoiler, the, 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 the building of the quantum bridge, which is which you've seen in the trailer, it's how they're going to get to what they call planet zero in, in, in the movie, which is the negative zone. I feel like that whole kind of sequence was pretty good. I, I love watching characters that are supposed to be geniuses acting like geniuses, yeah. right? And and that was, I think Miles Teller in another Fantastic Four movie, in the right Fantastic movie, even though he's younger than your read is in the comics, could be a very good Reed Richards. I think he has the chops, he has the persona, I think he understands the character in, 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 in a lot of ways. Um, and, I, and we will get, in, most likely in spoilers, to the Sue Storm stuff, which is like it, it, the, what they what what happens to that character, and not in any sort of big offensive way, just in a in a narrative way, it just is baffling to me. But uh, her time in that section, there's even some fun little moments with her and Reed where you see maybe there's a little bit something going on there. There isn't great chemistry between the actors, which is another issue. No, uh, there is no chemistry between anybody in this film. Yeah, which is definitely an issue. Um, but there's hints of it at places. You can see that if possibly if there was better scenes, if there was better writing, that there could be something between those two. Those two very good actors because they're both very good actors. Uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, the the Doom stuff. Look, I mean, there are some issues at the beginning. I don't necessarily love the idea, and they did this in the in the 2005 movies as well. And it did it in the Ultimates where they drag them together into one place and they have to be together when everything happens. It feels very old style comic book movie before we kind of started getting away from that stuff. But, um, you know, it, it's there. And I think uh, Toby Kebdell plays Victor Von Doom. His his motivations are completely you don't understand them. Like the, that's not his fault. That's that's the fault of whatever the writing is as a performance. He's pretty good, and you get to see sort of the the seeds of a of rivalry between him and Reed. Yes, growing. that was one of the things I thought actually worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene, like where there's geniuses being geniuses, yeah, and Reed is there with uh, with Doom, and they're 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 at one point Reed is writing out a formula mm-hmm. on the whiteboard, and Doom comes and like just races it, and writes <laughs> his own, and stuff like that stuff worked like that. But that's the only time in the movie I really felt like okay, there's any type of chemistry between two like between this group right here was mm. in that geniuses being genius scene, uh, geniuses scene. Yeah. Uh, then there's Johnny. Okay. Michael B. Jordan is a fantastic actor. He's an incredibly charismatic actor. He is completely wasted in, in, in the movie to me. Yeah. He has, n- there's, there's really no humor to the character at all. I don't know if it used to be there, but it's not there now. And one of the central, central things about Johnny is that he's funny, you know, and that he has a great sense of humor. Um, and it's tough because you sent me this link today, right? To this io9 article, which is brilliant, by the way. It's like this. He's like this. I don't. You shouldn't see Fantastic Four. This is the base of the article. You shouldn't see Fantastic Four. Here's what I remember from it, and it's like his interpretation of of the lines and the scenes with like context put into the dialogue, which is great. But the one thing he does say, which is totally true, is that Johnny basically has two character traits. He likes cars, and he has problems with his dad. Like those are the two things, and that's the only stuff 
that really gets brought out in his character the entire movie. Yeah, say what you will about the previous Fantastic Four movies, but Johnny Storm was perfect. Yeah, Chris Evans is great as, as Johnny Storm, and they get that character right. It's the one thing they get right in those yeah. movies. Um, and if you're wondering why we haven't spoken of, of, of Ben Grimm, it's because he's basically not in the movie. At all. At all. <laughs> um, it, it's... It, it's one of those things which is a bizarre turn in the movie where the movie starts with the the basis of the, the movie is the relationship between Ben and Reed. Like, it's the beginning of the movie. It's the second scene of the movie. It's the third scene of the movie. All happens in the first 10 minutes. And then you do not see Ben again for 40 minutes. Yeah. Sorry, you see him. You see him, but you don't. You you see him like oh, I'm in my junkyard riding my bike, but you don't get like any any character from him um, until the moment. And this is truly where the movie goes off the rails, which is the moment which they the accident happens is kind of the turning point for the movie in a lot of ways. I don't want to spoil all of the motivations that happen, the reasoning why the people go where they go is asinine. It's insane. It's insane. Not a moment. Not a moment. Do a moment for I believe. Look, I believe. I can totally buy that. Reed is so smart, and he, and and Bob mentioned this before when he was reading the thing. He's arrogant, right? He's so smart that he's arrogant, and he believes that he can do things that no one else can do, and that's what gets these loved ones of his in trouble. And to an extent, that is what happens here. But I don't believe that Reed is that dumb, you know, in that way, that egotistical in that way to do what he does, and. The the way that Ben gets involved is stupid. It just makes the movie makes no sense at times. Yeah. Like just defies logic. We, we talk about movies where it's like, especially with horror movies, right? It's mm. like you're supposed to be like a smart person. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And like this movie is an entire thing of that. It's like look at these incredible geniuses <laughs> doing the dumbest stuff, <laughs> dumbest stuff possible. Yeah, absolutely, a- absolutely. And it's it's a shame because you start you start to see then the cracks. And I think that the actual scene, there's some people do some dumb stuff in that scene. Doom especially does the stupidest thing that he could possibly do in the situation that he's in. Don't touch that. <laughs> it's like, I'm in an alien world. Look at this green stuff. Gotta touch it. <laughs> yeah, just stick my hand in it. Um, and so that's really, dumb. the actual scene is sort of interesting. Um, and then the scene preceding it um, is I think, fulfills the what Josh Trank said about kind of the body horror Cronenbergy nature of the way they're transforming, right? There's yeah. um you can feel the anguish of the characters in their initial transformation. And I think that scene is pretty effective. It is. Uh but from that scene on, the movie it, first of all, it feels gutted. It feels it, you can feel the half an hour missing in, in, in that in that in those in those preceding um scenes and it it just loses all form of, of what it was coming before it. Um, it, it about, about every way possible. And it affects everything. It affects the performances. It affects the writing. It affects the story. Everything just kind of falls off the rails at, at, at that point. Um, I, I, I will say, though, I do think it's a well-shot movie um, for the most part. Uh, there's some really bad CG. which <laughs> That's the thing that's confusing about the movie yeah. is there are times when the CG is like 2005 mm-hmm. quality. Yeah. But there are other times where the CG is in, is incredibly affecting. Yeah. I thought the Human Torch looked great. He did. The Human Torch looked great. Fan, like, way better than, the, I, I thought, mm. the original Fantastic uh, Four movies. Um, he looked he looked upsetting in a way. Mm. But just how you would picture a man on fire to look. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I thought the scenes with Reed where he was uh, right after you know he gets the powers and you see this in the trailer he's he's on the table he's stretched mm. out but what they don't show on the trailers is you start from the bottom coming up yeah and as you're coming over his torso you see his skin and his torso just keeps being in the scene yeah. as they pan up and mm. you're like that would freak people out mm-hmm. and a, a dude that stretches would freak people out and that they do a well a good job of conveying that but other times the cg invisible woman her force fields yeah it's like i that, that doesn't that looks like unreal engine 4 type stuff <laughs> like it should look better than that yeah but i thought the thing look i thought the thing looked great the thing does look very good and i and i think that and this is one of those things where you feel like you see good performances trapped in a, in, in a bad movie i feel like jamie bell put into a movie where it serves that character well could have been good in in that role yes the thing about um the thing about the thing <laughs> what i liked about the thing uh a i liked how, the way he looked mm. b i really liked his voice yeah me too at the end of the movie you actually get to hear him like say a couple of lines in a row which is strange <laughs> for the entire movie i think he has like one or two liners in a mm. row but like to hear him say a couple things repeated you're like i like the way his voice fits this character you know in the the, the previous movies, it was like this dark, <laughs> the dark voice, but like it's a man's voice inside of this big thing, and like he's the ever lovable thing. And like when you hear his voice, you're like, that's just a dude. Mm-hmm. Like I could get behind that. Yeah, I thought yeah. that worked. Yeah, me too. And I do think the CG on the thing is good. They don't use it very much. They don't no. use it very well. But I feel like the actual creation, other than he's not wearing pants, because <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, that was like, a little a, bit strange. A, a rock butt crack is a little bit strange to see on screen. But I, I felt like the actual CG was good. Um, filmmaking wise, I thought. We will talk about the end of the movie in the spoiler section. That scene is shot very poorly, um, created very poorly. However, they rendered it very poorly. I felt like a lot of the the opening stuff, uh, all the stuff was shot very well. I liked the color palette of the movie. I liked the composition of the movie. Um, I liked, uh, I thought there was stuff to mine in some of the scenes, but they're cut very short. And like I said, once you get to that second half of the movie, all of that sort of filmmaking kind of goes away. And and the movie is just a series of, of, mash together scenes that really have no visual language anymore they're just like here's a scene 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 and then then it just goes like that they don't fit together no they don't fit together at all um and look josh trank i i'm not i'm not whatever the plan was for his movie what even the even the plan i wasn't behind 100 percent. i would rather see a, a more and I did some thoughts for the Patreon people on the Patreon side, kind of ramblings about the movie. One thing I said was, for me, and everyone has a different kind of barometer for this, for me, an adaptation owes nothing to its source material except to retain the spirit and the feeling of that source material. I don't care, for me, I don't care what else you change. You can change time periods, you can change sexes, you can change races, it doesn't matter to me, right? Uh, you can change ages even. As long as you can retain the feeling and spirit of that thing, I'm behind you. This movie seemed like it was never really going to do that, and so it was always going to have something off for me as adaptation. Uh, but like I said, I was hoping for at least a good science fiction movie. And I feel like somewhere in this movie, there is a good science fiction movie. It was on, it was on the track to be a good science fiction movie. And then it, it doesn't just derail it. It jumps the tracks and goes in the complete opposite direction. Absolutely. And and I think that, and look, there are some other problems with it too, which I think are, are problems you can't, you can't pass off to one or the other, um, because there are some performances in the movie that are not good throughout the entire movie. The Tim Blake Nelson character, who's like the, you know, like the government, like honcho guy, literally is chewing the scenery every moment that he's in there. And I say that because he's chewing like this gum the entire time. 
He's doing like this very like, you know, I'm a sleazy guy like type of thing about him. And there's that that that's a little bit you know um, over the top. The way that each kind of character happens to get their power, like why they get the certain power and they're exposed to the radiation, is sort of very comic booky and very silly. And I wouldn't mind those things in a movie that wasn't taking itself so seriously other times. And that's the problem with the movie too. It has like a really weird, like um, schizophrenia to it. Cause it's, it's so serious. And then you get stuff like that, which is like, if this was in the Avengers, I would probably accept it fine, you yeah. know, but because it's in this, we're doing this very grounded science fiction take. If I'm going to be in that world, then I'm in that world. Like don't, don't jolt me out of it with, with sort of incongruous stuff. Um, and, and I thought that hurt. And then, the end is it goes full on corny at moments. Corny is not the right word. Yeah, <laughs> and you spoke of bad CG. Apparently, it wasn't CG, but the the way that they render and we won't get specific because I'll be in spoilers. The way they render Doctor Doom is horrible. He looks yeah. horrible. Um, this Doctor Doom, I feel like, is somehow worse than the 2005 version of the character, which I didn't think that was possible. Um and it, it was done here and not the actor who plays him originally in, in the song where he's Victor Von Doom I think there's potential in that character but what he turns into in the end se- seconds of the movie when you actually see Doctor Doom um it's very disappointing yeah I have lots of thoughts on on the whole on the whole <laughs> Doom bit but I'm afraid of like jumping into the spoiler territory yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll hold it off for a little yeah. bit um and we'll say we talked we talk a lot about acts and acts in this in, in this review and I think that. Good story structure, when it's done right, you don't notice it, right? It's supposed to be invisible. In this movie, you can feel the lack of structure in it. And I think that's one of the biggest things about it. I mean, you mentioned this thing, too, where a certain character enters, and you're like, I thought that was the middle of Act 2, and all of a sudden we were in the finale of the movie. It it comes out of nowhere. The pacing pacing from... The whole movie is oddly paced, because you spend so much time in the first... They don't get their powers until like you're 45 minutes in. I didn't know how long the movie was, but the movie's only like an hour and... Hour and 30, hour and 40. Yeah. Yeah. So you spend the first 30 minutes just with uh, Ben and Reed. And you're like, you're developing this friendship, this 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 bond that goes absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they get their powers, it's like we're off to the races. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a... Well, I mean, it's... It's not so much a spoiler if you've read any review, mm. but this movie does a, a like a huge time jump, yeah, a big time jump out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, so it's like we got our powers one year later. We're doing all these things. End of the movie. Yeah, it's frantic and just fr- the, the beginning of the movie makes no sense then because they, they, everything was like kind of drawn out, mm-hmm. and then it was like we've got to go. Yeah, and it's so frantic and so disheveled that the, you're sitting at the end of the movie as like that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beginning of the movie pays off nowhere, and the ending of the movie is so hollow that it just feels like the entire hour and a half was. I don't know, like it felt like the first part of the movie was like three hours, and the last part was twenty five minutes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good. Yes, that's a very good uh, analogy for it. I, I think that. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. It's a really tough thing. I mean, it just. I I haven't seen many big studio movies that ended up this way where there seemed to be uh, this I've, I've never I don't think I've ever seen a worse third act in a film with such a promising first act you know it, it, it's not just disappointing it's flat out terrible uh, 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 it's structurally and I just think that it's it's a shame because somewhere in this there is some sort of watchable 
entertaining movie. Yeah. But it's not there on the screen. The this film had promise. Like I could I, I you know, we talk about this a lot with video games, but like sometimes in video game development, things just go wrong. Mm-hmm. Like Destiny is a huge example of that. Like there is a story that happened with Destiny behind the scenes that I would pay lots of money to read about. And this is like I think a good example mm-hmm. of a film uh, doing that is like behind the scenes here. I think that there was something with potential to build upon. And then the bottom got cut out from underneath it. And the top just landed on top of everything underneath it, Mm. uh, underneath it. And I would love to find out what happens. Yeah. Where is like, where is this missing half hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, this is kind of, uh, tangential to, to the actual movie but Josh Trank is, is in the midst and it was interesting, very interesting is in the midst of them a four part interview with Kevin Smith on on Fat Man on Batman and he talked extensively about the making of Fantastic Four I mean I think he did the last one last week or something like that so I don't know like how that's going to play in when we go forward but if you're interested at all I think episode and episode two, all of episode three are, are about the making of Fantastic Four. And it's a fascinating, fascinating cool. listen, especially knowing what we know now coming, coming out of it. But yeah, I, I'll say this. Overall for me, um, I, I think that... Oh, I do want to say this because it's not a spoiler, but we'll get into this actual scene in the spoilers. There's one action scene in this movie. You're right. And it's the last action scene. And that's it. And I think one of the biggest things the movie does not do well over the other things we were talking about as well, is that you never really get a very cool demonstration of their powers. Um, you get a little bit from Reed. I said a couple of Reed things were kind of cool, but uh, they're moments. They're like fleeting moments that happen. They're action scenes that are hinted at, um, but they, we never see them. And then the final action scene is not a good one. So it's a very disappointing. And that way, if you're looking for like a cool action romp, you're not going to get that either in this movie. Um... I will say, I, I it, it's not. <laughs> it, it doesn't deserve eight percent on, on Rotten Tomatoes. I agree. Uh, if we want to talk about it in that way, it's not that bad. You know, it, it it's a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. That it, that puts eight percent puts it under Batman and Robin, and it's not as bad as Batman and Robin because at least it has a good act <laughs> built out of it. Um, so I will say that I, I, it's not as bad as as, as those movies, uh, and it doesn't deserve eight percent. But again. It's not a good movie. Um, it's I, I don't think it's enjoyable for someone who loves Fantastic Four, someone who loves science fiction. I think it, it's a miss on a lot of fronts. Um, a fascinating miss, but a miss nonetheless. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I went into the trailers arguing on its behalf, mm-hmm. thinking like, you know, this like I think this has potential, and I try and see the best in all movies. <laughs> Man of Steel. Uh, <laughs> But even I can like I you know I can't defend this like I I don't think it's like as Bobby said I don't I don't think it's an eight you know uh, I read the IGN review of it it put it at a five mm-hmm. I would probably put it in that category mm-hmm. like there's enough there that you can see like I wonder if this is what he was going for and the studio came in and just wrecked it all yeah uh, but like it's not enough for me to recommend like you should see this not even close like if it's on HBO one day and you mm-hmm. want to see what happened to Fantastic Four then like yeah sure it's worth a watch then but like. I can't recommend people actually going out and paying for this. No, I, I would not recommend people going out to the theater to see it. So that's our that's our spoiler less review of, of Fantastic Four. If you haven't seen the movie um, and you care about spoilers, now's the time to tune out at Talking Comics on Twitter, podcast.talkingcomicbooks.com. Let us know your thoughts on the movie if you have different thoughts or the same thoughts. Let us know what you thought uh, of the film. But 
if you don't want to get spoiled, tune out now. All right, they've been warned. They have been warned. It's spoiler time. So, I, I, th- I debated talking about this on the non-spoiler portion, because I think it's a huge part, but I didn't want to spoil it, because it's part of like the, the, the thing that gives them their powers, right? And I didn't want to go into it too much. But Sue doesn't go on the expedition when they get their powers. Makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. No. Um... Uh, and that IO9 thing, which is just a great job, like breaking it down. Uh, but basically, I mean, of course, Ben has to go. Like, Ben has to be there too. But basically, S- Reed goes, Hey, Ben, you work at a junkyard. Why don't you come on this extra dimensional expedition with me? And then they don't tell Sue and they just go. And they're drunk. <laughs> the, the Ben part, I could get. I could get that. Because, yeah. you know, if I was super smart and I was doing this and I had a friend who, you know, was there with me the whole way mm-hmm. and he says to him, I can't go without you. You yeah. were there at the beginning. I'm, I want you there. Totally fine. Why wasn't there five? Like, yeah. it, it could have been so simple for them just to write in, there's five, you know, this thing could take five people instead of four. Yeah. It, it, story-wise, it makes no sense for her not to be yeah. there. No, I will say it makes sense for Ben to go 100%, but in like, for Ben to go and soon not to go in the fiction of the movie makes little to no sense yeah uh and and that's just a it's just a bad move it doesn't make any sense it 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 doesn't fit with the rest of the movie it it just it's all wrong with with, with that and it's it's a bad moment in the movie and it's a moment one of those one of those definite moments where i was like okay like there's i'm starting to see the holes are starting to show themselves big time in this um when they go to the dimension zero um or planet zero sorry <laughs> uh you you kind of you kind of went towards it but one of the biggest issues of the movie like you said is people doing the plot that only advances when when smart people do dumb really dumb things yeah doom sticks his hand in this glowing green goo on this alien planet and that sets off like this like chain reaction chain reaction that makes the planet go insane and it's what gives them their powers and what i mentioned before on the non-spoiler part was you know you know ben is in like his like pod and all these rocks come flying into his pod and then he gets sent back and that's why he becomes the thing johnny's on fire when he gets sent back that's why he becomes the human torch i'm not quite sure exactly why reed becomes stretchy i don't really don't really give a fictional reason for that um that, that i saw i could be totally wrong but they leave, uh, they leave Doom there. They leave Doom there. He gets, I mean, to be fair, he gets swallowed up in this in the whole ocean of this green goo. Yeah. Um, and they move on. And when they get back, so they wake up, and we mentioned the scene where they wake up in this facility. Um, Reed, Reed, because he's strapped down, but he realizes he, he wants to get to, his whole thing is he wants to see, make sure Ben's okay, because he feels horribly guilty that Ben was with them. He called Ben. Ben shouldn't have been there. And now Ben, it could be hurt or dead for all he knows. That's like an affecting thing. That was a good moment. I was like, okay, this is this this this. At least they're at least they're paying attention to this one relationship. All mm-hmm. the relationship might be bad in comparison, but this relationship, really good. I'm, I I like the fact they're going with this. He crawls into the vents. He goes up, finds Ben, and he goes, Ben, are you okay? And he goes, and Ben's a giant rock monster, and, and and he goes, he goes, Reed, help me, and he goes. Yeah, okay, I'll help you, but I'm going to leave first because <laughs> I don't want to get caught. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about that because that, that, that's the part of the film where I got completely lost. Like, yeah. all right, so like the whole thing about Fantastic Four is they're supposed to be a family. Yeah. And like, all right, so, you know, the family aspect I was kind of hoping would just show itself along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we spent the, I mentioned it before, we spent a half hour building up the, 
the Reed and Ben relationship. We meet Sue and Johnny. Like, hopefully it all just mixes in along the way. And Reed's like, by the way, I'll see you later. I'll see you in a year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to help you, but I'll be right back. Yeah. And he abandons them for a year. Why? Like, movie never explains it. And never explains it. You see him working on something. You see he's working on what looks like a pod to go back to the negative zone. You know, it's like a one-man shuttle or whatever. He's he's trying to figure out a way to get back. It's one shot of a computer screen. You know, he's kind of in hiding. He's kind of like Bruce Banner, right? He's like in hiding, you know, moving from place to place, trying to get away. All the while, right, in, in this sort of, in the, in the military side of things, um, Tim Blake Nelson and his peeps are building a new thing to the negative zone. They can't figure it out without Reed. And so Dr. Storm is like, Sue you need to use your crazy pattern recognition thing that you do um, and, and find the pattern where they can't find it and find Reed. And this is one of the things where the movie feels like it's they're, they're, they're seen shot in multiple places and, and, and multiple times because Sue is like, you know, screw him. Like, uh, he abandoned us, you know, the way she should be, you know? And then she does the thing where she finds him and, and Dr. Storm's like, you did what you had to do. I'm sorry. And she seems upset that she found that she she tracked down Reed for them. Yeah. It doesn't play with the other parts in the scenes. You know, it, it feels very off, very weird. Um, and, and all the while, all the while, the military is using Ben as like a weapon. He's going in and like winning wars for them or winning battles for them. The motivation of which doesn't really seem see but that's something i didn't have a huge a huge deal with seem but i don't get the motivation because they're going to do it and they're going to go back to the negative zone anyway because they want what's there the whole purpose is like you have to fight for us or we're not going to cure you is kind of the the thing they're going to they're going to go back anyway because they want whatever weaponry they can get out out of the, out of that goo or whatever and also ben says at a certain point there is no cure like you're not they're never they were never going to cure me so yeah. why is he doing what he's doing? I mean, for me, like I, I didn't, re- I didn't know a. They never really explained how much Ben knows. Yeah. Like for I don't know uh, up until the end, right? If Ben even knows that they're going back. Right. Right. They ne- They like that, that's not something that they laid out on a platter no, for, like, for us yeah, to figure yeah. out. Um, and you know, Johnny like is like you know, Johnny's the whole thing is like I'm gonna go ahead and go, and go do this, like yeah. you know. The, we, the lack of humor we mentioned before, but like here he's like, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm supposed to help the military out by yeah. taking down drones. And yeah. it's like the whole them working for the military part, like that kind of happens in the ultimate comics. Mm. So like it, that, that didn't perturb me too mm. much. The part that like really like that left me like, man, they are really just going to get as far away from the comics as possible was uh, re just abandoning everybody for mm. a year, not for like a few weeks and like, I'm going to come back, but yeah. like a year passes. Yeah. Not communicating with them secretly or something like that. Like, you know, I'm out there, I'm trying to help. You know, but I just, I can't come back type of situation. Yeah. Because the thing about the movie, that and, th- and I don't mean like the thing working for the military, I, it bothers me as like a Fantastic Four fan. The logic of the movie doesn't really play it out for me okay. yeah, that very makes sense. well. That, that's my, my issue with it. And the other part for me is that, so Reed, Reed goes away and, and is doing all this kind of research on his own. And he could have done more good staying and helping them build this new thing and sort of using and kind of implanting his own agenda. You know, he could have been in his own agenda, figuring out a way to use it to, to save his friends, but he abandons them and leaves them. And apparently that's a lot of where the movie was cut because apparently there was whole scenes with Reed when he's on the run and he's figuring, you see why he's run away and why he's trying to figure it out. Um, and there's none of that, none of that's there. Uh, and all of that cutting out leads to, what is 
the worst part of the movie, which is they go, they, Reed comes back and he goes, oh, I figured this out. You go like this, which yeah. I, I like that part. I like that he's like, you have a couple of your equations are just in the wrong place. And, yeah. you know, they just can't see it. And he's a genius, so he can see it. I like that fine. They go. They, they send the shuttle back to the negative zone. They send like you know their NASA military people, whoever they are. More stupid people. More stupid. More people. smart people being stupid. Yeah. Like, hey, is that somebody walking towards us? Yeah. Let's go investigate. Yeah. Like you're on an alien planet in a different dimension. Something's walking at you. Get back in and go back home. Yeah. There's a there's a figure walking towards them, and they just walk up to him, and they bring him back, and it's Doom, right? Um. So he comes back. They kind of they kind of have him in like the same sort of rig that they had the other people in when they, when they brought them back originally. You know, they have him in a room and Tim Blake Nelson comes in to talk to him. At this moment, it feels like, okay, this is that second plot point. This is going to start us down the road to the end of the movie. Something's going to happen with Doom. He's going to go off. He's going to start something. and We're going to start pathing towards what will inevitably be the big battle at the end. We'll get a little battle here and then we'll get a, a little break in the middle where they try to figure out how to beat him and then they'll get a big battle where they come back together, they fight him, and they win. Nope. Doom goes crazy. He's blowing up people's heads. I don't even understand. His power okay, set so is completely that's, ridiculous. That's a big thing that, that yeah. people are talking about. Like, what is Doom's power set? Yeah. The one thing I'll say for Doom right then and there in that scene where he's in the military complex is he feels terrifying. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. 100%. Not knowing what his powers are, people's heads are exploding. Like, he feels like a legitimate bad guy. Yes. Why? I, his reasonings are beyond me. Yeah. They, they don't go into it at all. Yeah. He's like, I have to destroy this world to save my new one. Like, yeah. all right, fine, whatever. But he legitimately feels like a terrible person that you should be running away from. Yeah. That part worked. Everything else around Doom did not. Right. So that's the thing. The exploding head thing. Okay, this is his part of He's like telekinetic powers. Okay, I, 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 I get that, right? Like, so this is going to be his power set. And we'll see how it develops. We are immediately thrust into the end of the movie, which is um, he kind of creates this dimensional portal. He rips open the dimensional portal, and he's going to basically suck the world into the negative zone, destroying it, and he then can rule over the planet Zero. Which is a theme that they had gone through a couple of times in the movie early on. Yeah. When 12-year-old Reed created this thing, they're like, you're very lucky you didn't create a black hole that would suck in the entire universe. <laughs> right. And he's like, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like they actually mentioned that point. I think twice. Yes, Sue says it to him, and then Doom says it to him, and then at the end, that's the plot. The, the plot that Doom's using to destroy the Earth. Absolutely, and that 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 plot. There's nothing wrong with that plot point. It's it's it it doesn't make sense for character wise because we don't know anything about Doom. All we know is that he is kind of an environmentalist. Like he doesn't like the government because of how they destroy the world. You know, um, and and he gets he starts living in the in planet zero for a year apparently with no explanation of how he stayed alive no or who he's ruling over or why his planet is this planet's important to him why he comes back with the soldiers why does he walk up to the soldiers when they show up and acts like he's a weak like yeah what waste them all there yeah and then they can never come back because you destroyed the thing that brings them back anyway that also doesn't make sense the idea of like okay we're gonna suck the planet in the negative zone it's gonna destroy it fine we're now thrust into the climax of the movie, which is they all this the, our, our our Fantastic Four decide to go into the portal and stop Doom. The action scene consists purely, uh, purely of Doom sitting on one side of this like field, the Fantastic Four on the other side of the field, and they first all individually charge at him. He throws rocks at them, and they get knocked back, and then they go. Then Reed goes. We need to work as a team. I loved the Ion Nine bit where it was like, if we work together, we could we could do this. 
and to, to say the concept of teamwork never like had never uh, occurred to me. Occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then they work together, and then, and they go fight him, and they don't really even work together that well to take him down. It's really a lot of individual stuff, but then they take him down. Over. Boom. Justin, talk about your thoughts on that final action scene. I don't even know where to start with it, right? Because I mean, you and me talked briefly last night about our just brief thoughts about mm. the movie. And I was like, well, what about the ending? And you had said, uh, from the point, point where we meet Doom, you have no idea, but you're about 15 minutes away from the end of the movie. Yeah. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, Doom's in the, in the military base. All right. Mm. He goes back. I, we've got at least another half hour mm. here where we're going to, you know, do the thing every, that you mentioned. Mm. They're going to come together, try and figure out a way. They're going to go there. They'll fail once and they'll defeat him. Mm. It's like, nope, we're just going straight to the finale of the movie. And so here we are. We're on, you know, Planet X in a big dirt patch. Mm. No, Like, this is where the bad CGI comes in. It's like you can easily tell they're standing in front of a green screen. Mm. Doom is up on a whole bunch of cardboard boxes that look like dirt <laughs> and he's taking dirt and throwing it <laughs> yeah. at the Fantastic Four and beating them yeah. with dirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, Johnny flies, I'm going to cover him in dirt. Yeah. It's like, oh, Ben's coming, I'm going to cover him in dirt. Yeah. And Sue, like, I don't even know, I don't even remember what happens with Sue. He was Sue. like crushing her, her oh, bubble. with dirt. Yeah, with dirt, yeah. And the whole time you're like, really? Yeah. Like, this is, we deserve better superhero movies than this. Yeah. This is where it felt like we were all the way back at the beginning of superhero movies. Like mm. we'll have this big standoff that makes no sense. Everybody fails at once. We'll come together. We'll make Ben invisible. Mm. He would catch freeze movie over. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And yeah, that whole scene does not work. And it's funny because I will say, like the the way that all the characters are treated in the second half of the movie is bad. None of them get any payoff for their characters. None of them get anything. Um, and, and I don't really think anyone is treated worse than the other. Uh, I will say, I think that Sue seems like the strongest one <laughs> of all of them. It's not character wise, but power wise, which I think she, is actually in the comics. Is it true. is absolutely true. And, and I like that. I'll say, I noticed that about the movie. I was like, Sue is the only one who can last even a, a length of time against Doom. Like, she has the ability to do it, which I, I liked that a, a, about it. Um, but uh, everyone else, it just... It, 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 none of the maintenance... How, why? Why would you conceive an action scene where the thing gets beaten by rocks? He's made of rocks! I know. <laughs> it's not even visually interesting. And that's... The whole. And the scene is badly choreographed, and I'm, I'm, we're not pouring on here. This, the third act is atrocious in the movie. It's the really the one horrible thing about the movie. If you're wondering why it got a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. it's because of this third act. Yeah, the ending, you, and, then, and then you can make or break a movie, and the ending completely breaks whatever goodwill the movie might have had at the beginning. You mentioned it. It's not, you know, say what you will about bad writing or whatever, but like CGI for me can make up a lot. Like mm. looking at something that's visually interesting can make up a, like cover a lot of sins for me. Mm. And I was looking at this, I'm like, None of this is visually interesting. No. This, I, I can tell they're in front of a green screen. Like, this is a huge summer blockbuster. They're, they're trying to make it, and it's like they couldn't even they couldn't even take the time to make it look like, geez, our writing's not good. Let's at least make this really awesome looking. Yeah. It wasn't even like it wasn't even that. Yeah, and and, and again, speaking this is a, a, a you know tangential to the movie itself, but apparently that is one of the things that was a big the big cuts. It was the, the the final third of the movie, and, and as far as budget cuts and the reshoots, I, I think a lot of that final action was actually reshoots. Uh, 
if they had to reshoot it, I'm, I really would love to know what the original <laughs> looked like if that's what they came up I with. I think they're using it to cut the budget. Mm, that's okay. what I think they were doing. Um, so whatever was originally there might, might be better. But uh, you're right. And then we're into the end of the movie. And, and first of all, they're sitting there and they save the world. So the government's kind of like, okay, you save the world. So we'll give you whatever you want. Um, they want a facility. Now, as a comic book fan... You're like, okay, here comes the fucking Baxter building. Like, we've seen it already, but here comes, like, the Fantastic Four Baxter building. They're going, we want to open the Baxter building. It's where we started. It all, it makes sense story-wise for the movie. They're in some place in the mountains, like some building. Yeah. yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And they have this scene, which I can only imagine is a reshot scene. I cannot imagine it was in the original script, where they're all standing there. And, you know, Reed is like... And this is where it especially feels like a 2005, 2000, 2001 comic book movie. Where you cringe internally yeah. so hard and you're like, you are dragging us back into the dark ages <laughs> yeah. of comic movies. So Reed's like, oh, we need a name, you know? Like, there's four of us now and we're, 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 we're a team, so what are we going to do? Um, and this whole time, Ben has been like, I'm not your friend anymore. I hate you. Look yes. what you did to me. Yes, and this is what you, you mentioned before yeah. with, with Reed and Sue, that whole like, she's upset one minute, she's not upset yeah. the next minute. Go ahead. Yeah. So Rita's done nothing to make it up to Ben yet. He's done nothing. All of a sudden, they're like chummy chum chums. All of a sudden, and and you know, and and Reed goes to Ben. He goes, "Back in my garage, can you imagine we'd be here now." And Ben goes, "Yeah, it's kind of fantastic." <laughs> and, and, and then Reed goes, "Say that again." And then he repeats the line. He goes, I said it's pretty fantastic. He goes, "Guys." I got the name. And then it goes to the credits of Fantastic Four. And it's a super cheesy scene. There's no way in the, in the context of this movie that Ben would say, it's been pretty fantastic at this point. He's had a horrible time up to this point. He's had one scene where he's, done, he, he's, he's fought with them side by side. The rest of the time, he's been this kind of self-loathing, yeah. like, I'm in pain. Like, uh, my best friend abandoned me. This was like 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the scene. We don't get the payoff where Reed comes back, helps him. They, they regain their trust with each other. We don't get that in the movie. We just get the action scene, then the end, and everything's... Hunky dory. Here's something else that we didn't get any uh, in the movie until that very last scene. Johnny and Ben's like joking no. relationship. That I don't think at one point they speak. Uh, do they speak at all together in the movie except for that last scene? They speak when when Johnny meets Ben when he comes to go into okay. the, into the pod. And then it's Johnny doing a ribbing of the way Ben looks. And yeah. like the entire point of the movie is Ben saying how much agony he's yeah. in. He's in the plane with Reed and yeah. Reed's like, does it hurt? And he's like, oh, I'm used to it and yeah. stuff like that. And Johnny just comes off as a complete asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to make fun of the way you look. It's like, <laughs> no, you you have not built up that relationship at all. Like, I know it's there, but you can't just throw that out there at the end of the movie. No. And and, and it's this moment where he, and Ben like, gets angry and Reed goes, oh, we know you can take him. And, and it just, it feels like it's from a different movie. It feels like it's from a t- different script. It feels like it's from a different, a different thing. And... And we didn't. We should talk about this in the non-spoiler part, but you mentioned a little bit. They're not a family. They're at not. All. They barely know each other in the movie. Reed, Sue, and and Johnny know each other pretty well. Nobody knows Ben except for Reed, and and it seems like through the entire movie. And you mentioned the no chemistry. Sue and Johnny feel like they don't know each other in, in, in the movie. The way as, they talk to as each far other. as I remember, there's one scene where they're talking together when yeah. Johnny has to come help out. Yeah. Uh, to get his car back. Yeah. And Sue's like, oh, it's nice to see you. And he's like, oh, it's, it's good to see you too. Don't, don't expect me to be here for long. That's yeah, it. That's it. it, it and, and that, like, 
Again, that's what I mean, uh, Ring it all the way back to the beginning about the adaptation thing. You can do a lot of things differently, you can change a lot of things, but the core of the Fantastic Four is the family dynamic between the four characters, and they don't have that at all here. And I don't, look, I don't, you can't critique a movie that didn't happen, right? So, I, the movie is the movie. The movie is out, it's what it is. Josh Trank's name is, is on it. This is the Fantastic Four. In some other version of the movie, maybe they had a better relationship, I don't know. Hearing him talk about it, he seems like he, when I heard the interview, it seems like he... He he understands it. He he talked about it. He talked about how important that stuff was, um, and he, he seems like a, a, a an honest, positive guy. And, and 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 I don't know if that got taken away from him at some point. Who knows? But it's not there. And even forget about comparing it to the Fantastic Four comics or even the Marvel movies. Forget about that. Compared to the other Fox franchise, which is the X Men, which does its own takes its own liberties with, with the X Men. Mythos we've talked about on the show before, some of the stuff we don't like about the liberties they've taken. Those movies are at least entertaining. Yes. They're well acted. Mm -hmm. They're they're well scripted. You know, they have engaging moments. They have engaging characters, you know, the 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 if nothing else the the last twenty years of X Men movies Magneto and Xavier being the characters they are played by such great actors throughout this entire run it, it's it's amazing to see right and it's it's clear that Brian Singer although maybe he doesn't want to do it he wants to have his own take because he's a director and he wants his own take he understands the core of, of what those characters are about and that's just not here at, at all and I don't know what Fox was thinking because in the end it comes down. To Fox, right? Josh Trank pitched in the movie. They could have said no. You know, they could have said yes. They could have said no. I don't understand kind of what their idea was in deciding to make the movie they made, what they wanted from it, what they expected from it. Maybe they hired Josh Trank because he's made one movie and they, they they know they can push him around. You know, who knows? But it, it just felt directionless. It did. It is directionless. Absolutely. Except for that first third of the movie, which has a definite direction to it. Whether you agree with it or not, it has a definite direction to it. And then it just goes away yep just goes away completely so yeah i um it's a it's a failure of a movie um it's definitely not one that i'm gonna buy when it when it comes out and i buy most of them so here's something else that i mean they could have thought about like ever since marvel started doing these extra you know scenes after the mm-hmm. credits and, and fox started doing it with the x-men mm-hmm. movies you could have like you, they had to have realized like this is just this is not going to be good. Mm. They could have done more, I think, in the in the way of fan service. Like they could have put little things in there um, where they're they're hinting at other things. There's another one of these coming in like two years. I don't think that's going to happen now, though. Well, I, I guarantee you, it gets pushed back. What, what, they're probably there's going to be another Fantastic Four movie coming eventually. Mm-hmm. They could have done something, put something in the in the in the scenes afterward to get people like, all right, well that wasn't good, but like, oh, there's this classic villain, like something mm-hmm. to get the crowd being like, all right, well maybe maybe the next one will be better. <laughs> yeah. I'll be excited to see yeah. you know Anilis or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Th- there apparently was some sort of hint to Mole Man somewhere in there, but they that they cut out. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> it's basically taking anything that would be recognizable to comic book fans. Mm. They just took out of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's our review of uh, of Fantastic Four. Um, Go see it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you guys want to touch with us, please at Talking Comics on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics Podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address not the website talkingcombooks.com is that website yes and you can get uh, all our bevy of, of of podcasts which we have the misfits uh, melissa megan mara wood stephanie cook and maria norris we've got talking movies brian verderosa chris oliphant and nick scalia we've got talking games justin townsend 
Bobby North, Jackie Turner, and Steve Say. Yep. I'm going to be on that show this week. Yes, you are. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about some stuff, some games that have come out. That's what you talk about on that show, right? Games? That and food. That and food. It's true. You guys talk a lot about food. Um, uh, talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. And check out the special edition feed for Comics and Coffee and um, the Batman Arkham Knight spoiler cast that we did as well. That's right. Check that out. Uh, I am at Bobby Shortall on Twitter. Justin. I am at Jaroke, J-O-R-O-A-K. And I think that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Justin. Goodbye. I've been Bobby. Until next week, everybody. To be continued. Continued.